Man, what a crazy adventure we had this whole year. Oh, so many memories. Isn't that right, McNuggets? Oh, yeah, so many memories. So many memories. Like that time your brat stabbed that ice cream cone into my eye. Great memories. Did she do that? I told her not to waste the ice cream cones. She needs to treat food with respect. And friends. Okay, I'm glad you added that end friends part. I wasn't too sure. I wasn't too sure you were going to add that part. Oh, you know me, McNuggets. I wouldn't do anything to hurt you. You're my best friend. That's why we hang out so often. Pretty much any time I was working or hanging out with my daughter or fighting against the great threats to the multiverse, I was hanging out with you. I was there in the background, carrying your bags. Yeah, I always appreciated it. You know, and I was there for you when you won the World Galactic Super Reality Dance Competition. Yeah, I mean, that Tarask had some really sick breakdance moves. That, you know, when he spun on his head and almost wiped out the entire planet, that was, that was really hard to top, but I was able to do it. Oh, man, McNuggets, you're so cool. And remember when you were a spy for a little bit? Oh, yeah, and I got that really cool artifact that I stole from the museum, and that one guy that looked like Tom Cruise showed up and tried to take it from me. Yeah, but you really just murdered him, didn't you? You shot like seven eye beams through his chest and exploded them. Yep, and his brain was delicious. Hey, did you eat brain without telling me? I could have tried to cook it up for you. I... Look, it, it, I'm not proud of it. But it was just kind of an instinctual thing, you know? I, I couldn't help myself. One of the most important rules to being a chef is you have to try new things. And sometimes that seems like things that aren't food, like glue and paint. You have to learn that they don't taste that good. I thought they told you to stop eating glue in kindergarten. Well, I was raised by a super evil assassin organization, so we didn't really have kindergarten. Also... I think the time I ate paint made me forget about the time I ate glue and then vice versa. It's a vicious cycle. A vicious cycle that you've surprisingly made it out fairly well from. Oh, thanks, buddy. I'm really happy we're still friends, too. And we're going to be forever. Besties. BFFs. Do you think you might want to show up in Season 7? I mean... Ah. You know, with, I'm going to have to talk with my agent. It's got to get contracts cleared, you know, get all the paperwork through. But maybe, maybe. Let's let's shoot for, let's say, episode three. I might have an answer for you. Maybe. Oh, man. Season seven, episode three is going to be so sweet.
do, do, do I do I need to like roll a persuasion check to persuade you to ask us the questions? Do you not want one week of reprieve from that accursed game? <laughs> <laughs> do you not just feel the shackles? Oh, I'm not away. getting a I'm not getting a full week off. I'm 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 doing a recording a one shot in a couple of days. <laughs> I had a cool idea, Chris, for a move. Hot dog. I'll tell I'm you about excited. it. Later. It's very dumb. Austin hurt. No, you. tell me tell me about it now, but bleep everything out for the audience listening at home because we don't want to give them any spoilers. <laughs> there will be a new episode every week, no matter what. Hopefully, the way this works is there will be one shots between seasons six and seven, and then we'll get back to season seven once they're all done. But uh, from your perspective, there will always be a new episode every week, so you don't got to worry about it. Mm. Uh, um, ready for the first question? Yeah! Yeah, bring it on. <laughs> My god, she's screaming. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. Okay, so I asked the I asked for questions on Twitter and y'all sent them in, and I'm just gonna read them the way that Twitter serves them to me. No particular method to this madness. First question is from Christina's art at Christina's underscore art. Uh, is it forever impossible for anyone to enter or ec- exit Nifix's plane? So obviously we're on full spoilers here. If it wasn't clear, <laughs> <laughs> I feel like it has to be clear. It has to be, but just I did just occur to me that we you never just actually don't said trust that out loud. them to listen. <laughs> well, this postmortem. I wonder if it'll be you know like dance around what happened. <laughs> okay, well the owning is beginning very early here. <laughs> I I think hypothetically. It would be possible. I think people would need to find their own method of getting there, because obviously, like, the way Nifix got there was, here is a plane that already exists, I'm going to yeet it out of existence, whereas now you would have to yeet yourself out of existence and, and hopefully aim yourself right so that you could land in the in that reality. Um, I'm not saying it's impossible, but I think... Nifix was able to be very scattershot with where she threw herself out of reality. You'd have to be a lot more precise to end up there. I feel like it could be a fun tourist destination. Oh, I, I, <laughs> I, I, I don't doubt that there are probably pe- like super fans that have been like trying to copy what she did on stream to see if they can get there. And <laughs> like, no joke, I think most of them probably completely fail and are just lost in the void. It's like, yeah, sorry, that's what happens. Yeah, that's a dark epilogue, the idea that like <laughs> thousands of Nifix followers are just flinging themselves out of reality <laughs> into the icy cold void. Nifix has gone out of her way to do PSAs to be like, don't try and like reach my reality. I I I got here like through fluke. I no, don't try and follow me. <laughs> she turns a chair around and sits in it, is like, hi. I'm Nifix. You may know me from that interplanar crime spree I did. <laughs> if 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 you find a reality and you wish to fling it out of existence, go right ahead. Trying to reach mine? Bad call. Just say no to flinging yourself out of reality. <laughs> this paid for by the committee did not fling yourself out of reality. <laughs> Just because it worked for me doesn't mean it's a smart idea. Uh, so we got a question here from Aline, at Aline underscore K. Keet, K-E-I-T. Uh, two classic questions we get every season. What's your favorite scene or moment and favorite NPC? I like Morrow. I like Morrow, too. Morrow was fun. Yeah. I have, I feel that energy uh, very much right now. So I relate to Morrow. The, the twitching, uh, barely contained anger? Um, uh, the, the mania. <laughs> 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 I... 
I really liked Lloyd. Mm. Lloyd was real, real interesting. I didn't like Lloyd because you dropped the sex pistols instead of the clash, so. <laughs> uh, I, most interesting, but personally most interesting, even if I did, I got irritated with him as a person, was Lancelot. Fucking Lancelot was a fascinating character. Well, well created, Austin. It's because your little baby voice is so cute. Yeah, right. But you're really good at being like a little shit heel prick. (laughs) (laughs) Like, not like you personally, but in character, which I feel like I can say that because you called me a cunt once in character. (laughs) (laughs) That's how it works. So you got you got the pass. (laughs) I got the pass. Yeah. (laughs) We got a lot of questions about Lancelot. So I assume we'll return. Chris, did you say a favorite NPC? Hmm. Uh, Aldous Echo Morrow. He was really fun. Oh, Lime. How have we not mentioned Lime? Lime, Lime's the best. Oh, Lime, yeah, because your Lime voice is also very cute. Uh, what about favorite scenes and moments for your characters? I really liked when King pushed people in the holes. Yeah, <laughs> that, that was very good. The channeling. I wish I could do that in life. Yeah, the episode where Chris just came unglued completely. <laughs> uh, I really liked when I accidentally said pineapple in the race. Because <laughs> I was stoned, and then I just ran with it. Because <laughs> uh, it, it led to so much. Yeah. It really did. So many uh, things happen in this show where people are, like, analyzing. They're like, why did they do this? What did it mean? What are they going for? And the answer is just they, the, the player was stoned and said some shit. <laughs> I mean, even if I wasn't stoned, I probably would have still done it. I'm very dumb. I I had a really good time recording with Comrade doing that that impromptu Halloween one-shot uh, where C- Comrade ended up stealing the uniform. Oh, that was fun. That was a yeah. lot of That was, that a, was lot a really good time. To- that, that was like, in the midst of me being like, I don't know what I'm doing with this character and quite where I'm going to take them, it was real nice to just have a week of reprieve and do a silly scene with Comrade. Yeah, that was that was fun. And I, I really liked the wedding sequence. Oh, oh that, that was that very thing. fun. Yeah. That was a lot of fun. Oh, um, and hell. Not hell. Haiti? Hades? Where did we go? Yeah. Yeah. I feel like every season has, like, one uh, really iconic moment it, it, until now, because season six has, like, ten of them. It's, like, season two is uh, the Tiger Mountain arc when Drop went bananas. Season three, there was uh, Dora and Light in the Mirrors. Season four had the court scenes. Season five had the sun gun. And season six has just, like, every couple of episodes, there was one It was like, oh, my God, how are we going to top this? There's the wedding. There was a scene where everyone started stabbing each other in front of, uh, in, the <laughs> G- in the gene fight. There was obviously King's second death, which sent shockwaves through the... The listeners, there was uh, obviously Lancelot's death. It was just like moment after moment that were so friggin' hype. They would have been the high point of any other season, but this this one just was crammed full of them. We did a real good season. <laughs> we went buck wild. <laughs> yeah, normally when we get to the end of a season, I th- I like put the ho- the whole n- last nine months in my mental recycle bin and I move on. This time, <laughs> this time I'm just thinking like, how are we gonna top that? I don't know how. Like, there's no way we can just keep keep raising the bar. We kind of have to, like, maybe go for a chiller vibe. Don't, don't underestimate our ability to go, yeah, let's start with something chill and happy and lighthearted and to, like, fucking knock it out the part and do something we didn't expect to Yeah, like, halfway through the season, we're slitting each other's throats. <laughs> oh, no. 
Um, we got a question here from I think this isn't an L. It's Lazy Forty Two at Lazy Four Two One. Uh, asks how emotional did Laura really get giving her villain speech in the penultimate episode? It seems so real. I just wanted you to stop playing D and D and give her a hug. Oh, here's here's the secret about me in Dice Funk. Anytime that there's like a scene where it sounds like I'm, you know, giving that Oscar worthy emotional performance, I'm fucking like, oh, I'm 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 down the rabbit hole. I'm ready to cry. I'm like, I'm I'm gonna I have to feel the energy to perform the energy. <laughs> gonna get my cry on. <laughs> yeah, I'd say I'd say that's been an issue in uh, seasons past where the line got a little too blurry for comfort and we had to stop yeah. recording. Um, yeah, that's that's occasionally a thing with me. I apologize to the rest of the cast that occasionally I do a, oh no, I got too into my character. Fuck, gotta take five minutes. It's fine, I get you. But then, like, you get... Like, I always think back on season three of um, Dice Funk, there was that scene with Valtari meeting, like, baby Valtari, and I was like, that that scene turned out real good. You know? It, so what if occasionally I gotta do a little cry on an episode to get there? And those are always the high points. People always remember those moments. You know, th- those kind of episodes, I always have to just have a bit of a breather afterwards. I'm like, and relax. <laughs> Uh, Bojack90 at Bojack90 asks, uh, did you or Chris have a subplot planned, uh, fleshing out Lime's backstory and the program she was rescued from? Chris? Uh, so there's a couple questions all about King and his backstory in here. And, uh, there's, there's not really like a more elaborate thing to it, uh, by intentional design. Uh, King's backstory was designed to basically be like, how can I create an organization that had a ranked number system that King could be a member of and his brother could be a member of, but then the rest of the organization is pretty much gone at this point because that wasn't something King was going to have much of a care about. Um, how, so, how can you have, like, the No More Heroes, like, ranking system? Who is who is strongest? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was created to kind of emulate the, like, shonen villain groups that exist throughout mm. a lot of the, the shonen battle series where they usually have, like, gimmick characters and things like that. Um, there was a lot of like mystery, like what was the group about? It's not really like a mystery. It was kind of stated during the show. They were there to create super soldier children, essentially, who would do their work for, uh, presumably just evil mercenary work. I mean, it doesn't really matter the specifics beyond it. All I can say is, uh, I took a big inspiration from X-Men in that, uh, Weapon X is absolutely the worst part of Wolverine's character. And every time we go back to it, I want to scream fiery death. So I made sure to never go back to Weapon X. <laughs> I, my, my positions on lore are well documented. I'm anti-lore. So I'm, I'm very open to anytime Chris is like, uh, I, I wrote all this stuff. Please never reference it ever again. <laughs> There was, there was so many times where Austin was like, do you want me to add this in or do you want to do this? And it's like, no, I mean, uh, this, this all never comes up again. I want my character to like in their backstory be like, they killed a million dragons to be like, oh, should like dragon stuff show up? Please no, never again. <laughs> you you got to know your character. The audience don't have to know them. <laughs> I mean, I'll... suck on that audience. No, don't <laughs> antagonize them. But, but that is the thing, though, where it's like, even if the the organization was a larger thing, King wouldn't have cared about it. So that's the big thing. Like, I knew King wouldn't care about that part of his past. So it was like, why bother putting it in if King's going to give it like a nonchalant kind of shrug? Mm. Like King met both of the people who killed him. Uh, and his response well, the first time was like, okay, I'm your dad now. And the second time was he literally says to Sharon, like, sh- she's like, yeah, I killed you. King says, why? She, she explains herself. And then his only response is, 
Is there a fire exit in here? <laughs> he really just doesn't care. Yeah. It's incredible. They're just his complete refusal to play into any of the the storylines going on. It was the best. Uh, Hobnob Goblin at certain <laughs> tendency on Twitter asks, uh, "Lauren, favorite murder?" Honestly, killing Jean was very satisfying. Oh yeah, you created so much good drama. I yeah, it was it was dramatic, and like I knew people were like not going to be on board with it, and I was like, <laughs> I feel like that was everybody's guiding ethos this season. It was like, what 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 is going to make the most people upset? Hell yeah, lean into it. <laughs> well, and also like I personally like Cordelia talked a lot about hating maggots. That's my personal standpoint on maggots. They're the worst, and I can't. Uh so it just really got me right there. Syretha at LS Blackwood on Twitter asks, Conrad, after playing Dreg and Blake, which do you prefer? Tough tank or squishy magic user? Um, yeah, I don't know. that. Uh, it's really more about the character that I'm trying to play, I guess. You're very much not interested in engaging with the mechanics. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not. I'm not. I, uh... Um... Yeah, I, that, that is not a factor at all in my decision-making process for the <laughs> characters. <laughs> Do we want to stop and talk about how everyone's utter contempt for D&D has bled into the show? <laughs> uh, I, it, it, it was okay. So, like, <laughs> We're just trying to make it better by asking if we can have advantage on everything. <laughs> D and D is a is a is a tool with which we tell stories. You know, I, we're here to to use it to tell stories more than we are for the game itself. I appreciate that D and D exists to have been my introduction to this form of storytelling. Oh, that's lovely. But. <laughs> <laughs> I found other games to play in 1993. Yeah. <laughs> I was one. Are you saying you don't love concentration checks? <laughs> <laughs> I don't like having to remember that they're, that they're there. There's so many things you have to remember, and it's so easy to forget about them. Yeah. It can be written, right? I'm looking at it. It's written on my sheet. I'm staring at it, and I still won't remember. There's a whole lot of things on that sheet, though. There's so much! So we got a lore question here from Irefire. I believe that's how that's pronounced. At Irefire on Twitter, a wonderful artist credited in uh, numerous episodes. You should check the, the descriptions and click on the artist profiles that uh, that support the show. Wonderful work um she asks uh does immortality come with cordelia's godhood uh so we should we talk about this i feel like we're gonna have to restate anything we establish here in season seven but what do you what do you all how are you feeling the new gods do you think they should be immortal what's going on i can go either way i think it's i mean we kind of established that death itself took a pretty permanent place on the universe so It'd feel weird if we didn't still have an effect. I my stance feels like hyper extended life, but not forever. Yeah, like Dora. Yeah, like suddenly your lifespan jumps up like twenty times what it would have been. But like you're gonna you're gonna you know die of old age eventually, and 
y you could get stabbed real bad and probably go. Yep, that's probably what I'm thinking too. Um, you're just like a real top-notch quality person with cranked up stats, but like you're a person. Yeah, I just live for like a thousand years or something. After ten thousand years, I'm dead. You're cut off. Yeah. <laughs> Is that a Power Rangers, Laura? Yeah, of course it was. Oh, I didn't. Know After that. ten thousand years, it's okay. <laughs> That was lovely. Oh, can I have that be my character voice next season? I'm changing my mind. That's my voice. Yes. Gonna go for a good Rita Repulsa. Adorkable Smile at Adorkable Smile asks, For Laura, how did you find it to balance two characters once Nifix's arcs diverged? Oh, honestly, like, I, I really liked having a low-stakes character who more of her motivation was about, like, propping up Cordelia. Um... And the very little of the the surrounding narrative was putting pressure on her it was a real nice respite from uh, the heavier, more complicated. Like, oh god, am I doing this right? Stuff of Nifix. It was nice to have like, oh, as Lynette, I can just make my whole thing being questioning what Cordelia is doing, and then going, why am I questioning you? Go and go get him, you adorable snake idiot. And I think also a lot of that was because she was just complimenting Cordelia the whole time. <laughs> and I was like, yes. Considering I walked into this character like halfway through the, the season, my, my characterization ended up boiling down to I'm gonna compliment her while calling her an idiot. I'm <laughs> yeah, gonna be that's... like, what what the what the fuck are you to oh I can't fucking stay mad at you, go ahead. That's my real life too. <laughs> Uh, yeah. should, should we talk about uh, the the actual heel turn? I feel like the entire season yeah. pivots on Nifix. From for first of all, none of that was planned. Uh, you were yeah. never like that. Could have been a completely different storyline. Do you want to walk us through that? Because yeah, so like no, no. Uh, hmm. Being really open about it, like I, there was a good chunk of this season where I thought Nifix probably could have been brought back into the fold of the team and could have, you know, been brought back from the nonsense that was going on. I think she needed someone to basically just stop and listen when she went, hey, I don't know what the fuck I'm doing here and I feel really out of my depth and I'm really scared. And she just needed someone to go like, I will help you work out what to do. And I will listen and go, yes, it's okay that you're fucking scared of everything that's going on with your character. Um, I think there are a few characters dotted around the narrative who probably, if things had gone differently, could have brought Nifix back in. But there was there was definitely a turning point in the season where I think uh, it, it was a it was a combination of a. I felt like Nifix was at a place where like it was getting increasingly unlikely that the characters and the trajectories they were on were gonna bring her back into the fold. Um, on top of that, it was just like, I... Mm, I had a lot of personal uh, uncertainty about where I wanted to take the character. Because, um, like... Huh. Much like Nifix the character didn't really know where they fit in this team, I wasn't sure... Where as a player, like, okay, where where do I aim them towards? How do I try and get them to, to fit somewhere in this narrative? And a lot of that played into, like, Nifix becoming sort of more uncertain about what to do, becoming more aloof. And yeah, there, there was this point where I think it was... I can't remember whether I reached out to Austin or Austin reached out to me and we were just talking about, like, 
I think this is the the point of no return for Nifix. She's going she's going down a road where she mm, her ideals are definitely differing from what the rest of the team wants. And we had a conversation that was like, okay, is she gonna go down the heel turn route? And we we sort of decided it must have been about halfway through the season. It's like this is probably where Nifix is heading. Okay, let's work together to build that arc. Let's work together to go. How do if we go that direction? How do we push it to to get it somewhere interesting rather than having it sort of lazily head that way? Um. Nifix's arc was still, like, very much in my control. It wasn't a case of, like, ah, Austin's taken over or something, but we talked through a lot of, here's what we're, here's what I'm thinking, here's what Austin's thinking, what, what would get us where, where Nifix seems to be heading, and, uh, yeah, it, it was a, it was a lot. <laughs> it was a lot playing a character that was making bad choices and, Choices that I, as a person, wouldn't make, but there was there, it was a it was an interesting experience to see audience response to that. <laughs> yeah, so there was like a metatextual layer of you role playing Nifix trying to figure out what she wanted, while you, Laura, are trying to figure out what you wanted for Nifix. And yeah. uh, going into, I think it was like the um, uh, the Jasper House series of mm. episodes where Nifix started being really assertive, and the audience started responding uh, really strongly to that, like you eating the white slod with the cranium rats, uh, you yeah. controlling the water to put out the fires, you yeah. uh, fixing well, the library. Well, I I think a big part of that was like the only piece of guiding advice she had had was, and we we sort of referenced this in in the epilogue, was Cato saying, "Stop stressing about it so much and just go for it." Which was not meant to be, like, foreshadowing. He, that was genuine trying to be helpful advice about, like, you can reinvent yourself. You can be anything. Think of the possibilities. And then yeah. it's, like, in hindsight, it's, like, Nifix is, like, I could. I decided I could be anything, even a villain. <laughs> I mean, it wasn't even... I don't think she even... She thought of it that way. I think it was just, okay, let's just pick... Uh, let's let's throw indecision out the window and just start deciding things. And the more those decisions, those rash decisions, had negative outcomes, the more she was like, "Fuck it, things are going bad either way. Might as well be <laughs> assertive." Yeah. yeah. So then you like with the killing of the New York slot and the stuff with Matilda, it kept getting like yeah. Nifix kept acting more and more rashly, and the audience kept giving like, "Yeah, wow, Nifix is badass!" All of a sudden, she's cool. And I was like screen capping comments and sending to you, being like, "People really like dark, assertive Nifix." And I think it mm-hmm. really came to a head with uh, the episode Nifix's Big Day Out, which is only focused on her, where we kind of just uh, locked it in because I said to you, yeah. "If you're going to go against the rest of the team, we're going to need to give you like final boss powers." And you once that's once that happens, yeah. you can't change your mind and go back. Can be part of the team when you're stronger than all three of them put together. That was it. When we when we when we sat down and were like, we're gonna do an episode where Nifix gets a different power set to sort of set her up for that. That was that was around the time that me and Austin were like, Nifix is probably gonna be final boss material. Um, but like, I I want to acknowledge while we're talking about this, uh, one thing I saw a lot during this season was a lot of people, um. Making comments my direction about the fact that um, Nifix, mm, some of the things that Nifix perceived as having been slighted against her, probably not accurate to what actually happened. Deliberate thing with the character. I very much wanted to sort of play up her insecurities as, 
like little offhand comments she's built up into something much bigger in her head and that's where a lot of that anxiety came from because like Cordelia and Blake did make offhand comments earlier in the season about like oh what yeah what are you doing on the killing team they 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 made jokes about the fact she hadn't killed but like not to the extent that Nifix had built them up in her own head as like oh no everyone fucking hates me I'm not meant to be here what's going on yeah, she, she's a she's a flawed character, but that doesn't mean you did a flawed job of portraying her. No, like I I, I I've said this elsewhere. After three seasons of playing characters who start off flawed and work towards like trying to become the person that goes, we should all be a big happy family, and we should avoid conflict, and we should make everything nice for everyone. It was nice to play a character who kind of had the opposite trajectory and was like, no, they're gonna be they're gonna be a fuck up, and they're gonna misinterpret things and make bad decisions and I just wanted to see that through. Like, I, I, I wanted to commit to doing having her have her, I guess, villain arc, because I was like I, I don't want to take the easy road and just back out of that. We could probably do a whole episode just on uh, dissecting Nifix as a character I with no hyperbole, easily the most complex and deep character in the history of Dice Funk. That's both player characters and NPCs, the most interesting and, and well-developed. And uh, I think it, it warrants much more examination than we have time to give her, frankly. Uh, so incredible job, Laura. I'm glad I didn't fuck it up. I spent half this season going, oh God, oh God, I'm, 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 I'm doing it all wrong. <laughs> Uh, we got a question here from Gideon at Gideon Gleeful ninety five. Why did Nifix not wipe Lancelot's memory in the Leth? To me, and this is my personal read of of the moment. I don't know whether it was intentional or not from from Austin's part. Um, my interpretation of Lancelot as he's about to die and he's in the Leth, um, bringing up suddenly, hey, I Ivy trained the bee drills. To me, read as this is someone's desperate last ploy to save themselves. It's... I could have told you this at any time if I'd actually wanted to make amends with you, but I'm telling you it when my life is on the line because, you know, it was a manipulative mood. At least that's how I I, I read it and felt that it was interesting to play. Um, with that in mind, I think Nifix as a character at that moment would just be... just pissed off it's like no i'm not gonna I'm, I'm not gonna wipe your memory no you you you're done you you don't get to do all of the things you've done and then try and drop the but i cared about you card at the end when your life's on the line i think was the way i was i was i was trying to play that scene out which i think why nifix wouldn't have gone i'm just gonna wipe your memories and let you back up so there's two ways to approach this question. One is a purely mechanical basis, which is why were we even on the river Leth? Which was because Sharon asked Nifix, which river do you want to take? You could have picked any of yeah. them. You picked Leth, so that's why we were there. It wasn't like an intentional uh, like Chekhov's gun I set up and you failed to fire. Yeah. You didn't do anything wrong. It was just something in the scene which you had at your disposal. You can use it or not use it. Yeah. It's fine. It's just a choice you can make. Uh, that's actually something that applies to the final boss, too. Remember, all mm. the rivers were, like, helixing around you. You could have tried to m- memory wipe Cordelia or Blake if you wanted, or to scald them with the boiling blood. Like, all those rivers were at your disposal. Well, the, I, think, I think part of that is that, like, Nifix is not someone who wants to be forgotten. At least where she was at the end of that season, she she didn't want any anyone to just go on with their lives not remembering what she'd done. 
Yeah, no, I think it actually is the correct character choice. Yeah. But I th- something about the writing of the season, uh, all of these seasons, really, is like the idea that there are like r- correct solutions to any mm. problem or fight or scene. Like I give you a setting, I give you some variables, some characters, some items, and then you just yeah. bump them together whichever way you think is most interesting. And if yeah, you don't pick like- one, that's fine. To, to me, like, it was far more interesting to have that conversation between Sharon and Nifix about do you want to drink from the Leth? And having that, cho- that, that conversation was more interesting than I'm going to force a memory wipe on a, another character. Yeah, the, the other way to approach this question is narratively. And I think what the yeah. Leth served was for that moment where you're like, do you have any regrets? Because now is the time you could wipe them away. Yeah. And you said no. It's like the final no going back moment. Yeah. Um. So I th- I think it all worked out. Yeah, there, there's a lot of uh, things we didn't explore, but that's what makes the choices meaningful. Is that mm. you actually miss out on stuff when you don't take yeah. it. So, um, let's see here. Uh, Hylian Bard at Omega Strike on Twitter asks: Was it set in stone that Sharon would be the woman of hurt, or could it have been someone else, depending on how the campaign went? Uh, this is very interesting. The way people view the the writing process. I I think this might be the first season I've seen like conspiracy theories about our show like the <laughs> like the idea the one that got me was that i i deliberately killed king because i didn't like his character or that chris <laughs> what chris killed king because he was tired of playing him and then i made him bring him back or something um there's there's a bunch of like weird things people get uh, get in their heads but no no that the way the show is written is that every the characters exist and when they're off screen they're still doing things so sharon is always the woman of hurt because that's her character mm. and it would be bullshit if there was all this foreshadowing or build up or groundwork and then i just descri- decided off screen uh actually i think uh morrow is the woman of hurt fuck you <laughs> that's that's not oh, how it works that'd be so good though that's just not fair you can't that's just not it's not being uh real and honest with the fiction you know so uh the, the, the only things that are really set in stone are the characters lo- in the locations everything else is negotiated in play and in in the improv but I, I never would pull a trick like that on anyone so that's it's good to get that out there um i mean you, you as a dm are too good at laying the groundwork for interesting reveals for it to have been like pulled out of your ass you you lay breadcrumbs Oh, but another thing is you guys are constantly walking backwards into the most perfect way to reveal this stuff. Like I had no Oh my I had no Yeah. I had no idea Cordelia was gonna yeet herself out of the race and then go catch Sharon as she was trying to rig the race for you. Like can you even <laughs> imagine being in my shoes? This is like the 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 joking about going to the sun in yeah. season five, like twenty episodes before it happened. It's just it's wild. I still can't believe I, I- I still can't believe I accidentally lead into Sharon and I'm like, oh, hello. We all know that wasn't on purpose, too. Yeah. It was just a stupid mistake I leaned into. Uh, the other really great example was all the stuff with uh, King's uh, arc where mirroring the, the, the Cronus narrative with the, the father-son violence and then him, of, of all the species to decide that are his children, to pick the ones which are literally made out of the souls of unbaptized children. I mean, come on. It feel, It's like so perfect that it feels like we planned and scripted it, but it was just a complete ass-backwards coincidence. I'm sorry, do, do what now? I'm just... <laughs> This this arc this arc knight's map isn't gonna play itself. What's that, Austin? 
Do you have any thoughts on how uh, King is the best character you've ever made and you're going to live in his shadow forever because it's impossible to do any better? Sure. Yeah, that's the expectation I have with King. (laughs) I don't know how much of our audience is aware of this, but uh, people were mean to Chris about King and they were wrong. He's proved them wrong. And if you ever doubt him again, I will never forgive you. They have a problem. Okay, so. (laughs) Oh, no, here she comes. Okay, so, and Laura touched on this earlier, but sometimes it feels like people get confused about the difference between us, the people, versus the characters, which I'm not a serial killer. If I was, I would have. I would. I would have killed. Like I wouldn't even killed somebody. I would have been caught before I finished killing them. If I was trying to be a serial killer. To be fair, I think of all the players, you were the one least confused with your character this season. Yeah, but people still seem to like uh, at the end fight, like when we were like, "How dare you do these things?" It, we weren't arguing in good faith. This, <laughs> yeah, that that that. Mm, yeah, Th- this season had a. Uh... A reasonable amount of conflating character choices with player morality and um, mm, I feel like the best way to put this is unwillingness to see where the story was going. Like, ah, where it is now, don't like that. Clearly that can't be building towards anything was a little bit of a thing for a while. It's funny because people have been asking for years for a villain season, like literally years of constant comments. And I kept saying, you won't like it. You're not, they're not going to be likable characters. You're not going to find their motives compelling. There's not going to be a clear goal of save the world. So you're not going to know what it's building to. It's going to piss you off. And then it happened. And I'm like, this fucking rocked. This ruled so hard. And and it turns out I loved it, but I was also right. Also, I'm not into Vor. Because <laughs> I've, see, I've seen that said, and I'm not actually into it. Lauren, I just think it's a fun thing to say. Lauren, you just keep telling yourself that. I got a question from at Citizen Soon, who asks, regarding Lancelot, Austin, why? <laughs> <laughs> so, much like Nifix, uh, this is one of the characters which could probably have an entire episode dedicated just to talking about them. I'm hesitant to say too much because I don't want to poison the well of discourse. Um, one of my favorite emerging uh, media things is the two-hour YouTube video where smart people talk about things. If you've seen like um, uh, the the recent video by uh, H-Bomber guy on... Uh, Oh gosh, what was that game with the the Russian uh, uh Bioshock? I don't like Bioshock. I'm <laughs> well, just sure uh, even I know it's. I think there there's that. there is a Russian doctor in that game. Oh, <laughs> uh, you guys are no help at all. Pathologic is that the oh. Patho- oh. <laughs> yes, the, the, yeah, that game. <laughs> like the pathologic video, um, there's there's a lot of people who are doing stuff like that, and that's how I like th- to think of our show is like you could just do long, uh, discursive, like pretentious reads of every character. So I don't want to jump in here and say like, here's what Lancelot means, and then that's the only answer that matters. What what do you guys think about Lancelot? He's a punk ass little bitch. <laughs> he is kind of a punk ass little bitch. Uh, the 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 thing that really stuck with me about Lancelot long term is I think he. He had a real sense of self-importance. He was a self-righteous little twerp. Yeah, he, <laughs> he, he he's like all those people that you meet who are like, 
I have decided what I believe is moral, and I do not want to hear arguments to the contrary, because you will not change my opinion, because I am right, and I am the best, I'm gonna save everything. Why are you booing me? I'm right! (laughs) (laughs) He is very, why are you booing me? I'm right. Here's what I'll I'll say about uh, Lancelot, and I'll, I'll kind of open this scope to the factions, because... How I structured this was the two main factions are the Aethar and the Believers, and they each had three representative characters, and each one kind of filled a niche. So both had like a zealot, basically, which would be Camilla and uh, Lancelot, people who are absolutely committed and they cannot be swayed at all. And then they both had someone who was like part of it. And just, just be, they were just part of the organization because that seemed like the thing to do. They didn't really think about it much that much. Abraham and Anastasia, and they had a third member, which are very flaky people who could be easily swayed, and that's Lloyd and Calliope. Um, and so, I mean, over the course of the season, it looked like Lloyd was going to leave the Believers for the longest time. I think he was like one conversation away from being uh, convinced to leave until. Uh, King kind of went off on his own thing there, and Calliope did abandon the Aethar, but Lancelot never was going to. Um, I, uh, the more I think about Lancelot, I find it very interesting that Lancelot and Nifix ended up having like this ongoing clash of personalities, because I think they're both like more similar characters than I think either of them would like to admit in their sort of... Um, refusal to back down once they have decided something... And they're sort of, <laughs> yeah, there, there's something about both of them that I think, like, both characters probably could stand to stop and go, oh, I'm seeing some of myself in you. Okay, I see what's going on here. But between the two choices, because a lot of the, the the season revolved around picking between these two factions, I didn't want either to be the right choice, mm. right? So I, I wanted each of the six characters who represented the factions to each be people who were genuinely trying their best, but each had a pretty significant flaw. Like Abraham was that he was naive and basically being used. And Camilla was like cold. She she wasn't very personable. And uh, Calliope was, was young um, and just didn't really know what was going on. Lloyd is very flaky. He like couldn't remember Lime's name and stuff. <laughs> Anastasia was hedonistic. She was just always worried about, she, she was really only concerned with like eating and partying and like having fun. And Lancelot is, he was unmovable. He was stubborn. That was his thing. Mm. I, I don't think of him as being like villainous or having anything uniquely bad about him compared to all the other characters. It was just that because you got closest to him and spent the most time with him, his flaw got more time to kind of uh, yeah un- unravel in front of everybody. Exactly. I think I think stubbornness and pride are two equally immovable uh, core tenants for a character to end up on. <laughs> Any other thoughts on the factions and so forth? Did anybody uh, feel like if you could do it again, you'd pick a different one? Or if because I know there's like a question on like our biggest regrets uh, of the season, and I, I think my biggest is not doing more with the factions yeah because halfway through the season i was like oh these factions have a lot of diversity and are kind of cool and some of the other ones that weren't like brought up would be fitting really well with my character and at that point you can't really like you can't like be like hold on can i get a fucking pull a switch and my character just does a 180 and then suddenly now cares about factions like yeah. you just can't do that so i feel bad because people have asked for faction seasons and we're probably not going to get another one anytime soon. So I wish we I had spent more time interacting with the factions in the time we had them. 
I would have been interested to see where Nifix would have ended up if she hadn't sort of pushed herself away from the faction system as early as she did. Like, I think her like, hey, so what about this question about the faction system and, and that causing the fallout with Lancelot? I think she just went real hands off real fast with factions. And I've been interested to see where she ended up. Yeah, factions for me are such a, a basic RPG uh, design trope mm. that they're they're almost like baked in to a lot of uh, assumptions you make about it. Like some some games, like not D and D specifically, but there are games where you your character sheet has like strength, intelligence, faction as like one of the things yeah. that defines your character. But doing the show is really revealed uh, like this anxiety about choosing incorrectly. Yeah, that's very interesting because like if I play a Bethesda game, I don't think twice about joining the Mages College. I don't think yeah. twice about joining like Caesar's League in my new vegas playthrough or whatever but when you're in front of thousands of thousands of people and you feel like if i choose wrong i'm gonna have to live with this in front of everyone for eight months it's it's a different thing i i still think nifix's initial motivation for um joining with team lancelot would have been interesting which was the whole uh she wanted a challenge and what better challenge is there than killing a killing a god yeah that could have been an entirely different campaign yeah it like had had things gone differently with Lancelot, I think that Nifix definitely could have been brought back into team. Wouldn't it be kill to, uh, cool to kill some gods? Uh, one last thing I'll say on the factions, though, is uh, we did talk a little bit about how um, some people crossed a line and, uh, you know, sending Laura hate mail or criticizing uh, some of the players more uh, personally and specifically. But I don't think the reputation this season got as divisive is really fair. I think that the way it functions is very intentional from like from the designer's perspective um making the audience identify with things is a very powerful tool like the houses in harry potter yeah is like a, a, a genius pr move people uh, attach to one and feel very strongly about it and people do that with the planescape factions or the, mm. the magic the gathering guilds or anything like that and i think most of the the discourse, as it were, uh, is actually healthy and and good because people were engaging with the ideas. And um, yeah. obviously personal attacks are not <laughs> fucking acceptable, but most of it was exactly how the game designers intended, which is for people to latch on to the one point of view and then argue against people who disagreed with them. So I think that actually worked perfectly the way it's supposed to. Oh, yeah, it really strengthened the season. It was also just like, it's it's a lot as a player. <laughs> We got a question here from Edie at eventually, is that eventual Eden 5? Hmm, interesting. Uh, who asks, who was the first last time on Dice Funk Voice this season? <laughs> I don't know. Who was it? I don't know. Who was it? I don't know. Who was it? <laughs> Should I tell them? I guess. It was my best friend, Joa. It's a IRL friend that has no internet uh, content. You could never have guessed it. I'm sorry if you felt like it was a puzzle you had to solve. You were, it was <laughs> rigged from the start. You. Were they meant we to rigged you? Were they meant to represent a specific like in-universe person or? Yes, actually. So I mean, Chris, I don't know if you've talked about this uh, outside of like the Discord, but do you want to talk about like Lime's conception as a character? Uh, yeah, I mean, the original idea behind Lime was I was going to create a character who had, like, someone who was a father, or a parent, rather, to a child, and then the thought was that the, the character would be a changeling, and then in a future season, I'd be playing a character 
who was a different race until eventually it was revealed that they were actually that changeling. They were the grown up version of that character. Usually some shenanigans to get them there. I don't know if Captain America frozen in ice for a while to explain why there's usually large gaps in between seasons. But the idea of like trying to backdoor in a character into the next season. Uh, but eventually I was like, yeah, it kind of goes against the spirit of Dice Funk. And I, I just decided to change her into an Asimar instead just because we didn't have too much represent, uh, representation of that on the show yet. So. Yeah, so so the two two things here. One is uh, Joa, our IRL friend, is voicing adult Lime in the last time I undice Funk, and the the framing device is that uh, in the future she has access to the uh, Society of Sensation memory uh, holder things. What are they called in Harry Potter? Oh, the um, the pensive. Yeah, the the pensives basically, and so she's putting her memories of being a child and the stories she heard about her dad and his adventures into a memory thing, and the podcast is us listening yeah. to them. Uh, and then the second half is Nifix. Uh, it's a tradition going back to Dora when you became the villain. Yeah. That if a player character becomes the villain, they become the last time on the Dice Funk voice. So I don't know if Nifix is like streaming her side of the story, or she like left some journal in uh eden or something but yeah, that it switches oh no she's she she's totally vlogging like her experience of what went down uh so yeah that it, originally lime was going to be chris's character for a future season then you change her to an asimar and so i decided that the framing device for the season was adult lime telling the story of her father um Aww. so that's that that's that so I, I needed a female voice the audience would not recognize an adult female voice so we just got a real person and that's that's what happened that's the whole story Got a real person. I know. I'm like, what are we, Austin? Uh, I literally used a synthesized voice one time. I used Microsoft Sam. It's no, I know. <laughs> we just like to fuck with you. Demon Hunter at Tiger Alchemist asks: Now that Lauren and Laura have both been the big bad evil guy, do Chris or Conrad have any any interest in becoming one? Also, would Laura or Lauren do it again? Yes. Uh, <laughs> she's thirsty for blood Stop her. hypothetically but like i i don't plan to do it soon i need to go back to you know let's make everyone friends for a bit i found being an unrepentant b- bitch is very very freeing oh it it is but like mm, it's really freeing once you get over that hurdle and your character becomes that getting there is hard work well and i think because i I had Dora before. Yeah. I was like, release the evil! Uh, here's the thing. I feel like now I would have a much easier time playing a character who was evil from moment one. I would love to see it, honestly. Yeah. Like, here's the thing. Uh, nothing's set in stone. If the right character comes up, uh, I'd do it in a heartbeat. But yeah, you you get to know who the characters are when they show up. I kind of already did play the villain in season four, just they didn't last until the end of the season, but uh, I would not want to play the major villain uh, only because I don't think I could hold back. (laughs) Like, like, like when I was presented the opportunity late in season four to be kind of a villain, I pitched an idea to Austin. He was like, well, that's too dark. We're not going with that. So that happens uh, a lot. (laughs) Yeah. Like I was like, I don't know if you really want me to be the villain because I'm probably not going to be as fun as you want. I mean, one of my favorite, like, party fighting against one party member who split off moments of this whole show was the fight in the courthouse, and you 
fucking rocked that. Like it, it did. You, you know, it, your character didn't walk out of that alive, but it was a, <laughs> it was a hell of a moment, and you made such a good impression. Like, if you did stick with a villain, I, I have no doubt you could pull it off. Yeah, but I'd want to kill all your characters. Oh no, do it! I <laughs> no. characters that get killed off tragically, always the fan favorites. Every character that has a tragic death and doesn't make it to the end of the season, everyone laughs. I mean, no, she's not wrong. That's that's how that works. Yeah, if the no, character dies. I, I was yeah. I was totally hoping that Nifix would get killed off because then she would end uh, like immortalized good character <laughs> status. <laughs> Wait, before Conrad answers the question of whether he would ever want to be a villain, can we should we talk about the final fight because? Uh, the whole week leading up to it, everyone was talking about who would win and like running the numbers and so forth. And I had simulated it myself and come to the conclusion that Nifix was probably going to get turned the fuck inside out. Oh yeah, no. As 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 a player who controlled Nifix, my health was so abysmal. One good hit on me, and I'd have been dead. And it totally could have happened. So I sent you a message and I said, like, really what this comes down to is whether Cordelia and Blake pick the right spells. Yeah. Because he, he, walk, walk through the fight with me oh. here, okay? I'm sorry, yeah? Do we have to? Just just, just for a second. Do only we ta- have to? It'd only take a second, I, right? I can tell you how I'd have killed me. <laughs> Do we have to? Okay, so first turn, Cordelia uses Finger of Death in the T-Rex. Then uh, Blake goes Finger of Death in the T-Rex. It has, like, 30 health left. We go around. Everyone uh, takes, like, minor damage. Obviously, Blake can use his uh, illusory self to avoid the T-Rex. So it goes back to Cordelia. You use Blight on the T-Rex. It's dead. Just mathematically, it's fucking toast, right? So now uh, Nifix has to yes clip to get a new beast, but she's a sitting duck because that takes her action. She can use bloodbending as a bonus action, but Cordelia has advantages against save, uh, magic, saving throws. So you're probably not bloodbendable. Uh, that means uh, there's a whole round, a whole a hole around the horn where Nifix is standing there with her thumb up her ass as she eats blight and cone of cold and fireball and almost certainly dies. But let's just say for argument's sake, she doesn't die. She summons a beast. As an action, she's a sitting deck duck for a whole nother round the horn as she eats blights and cone of colds and fireballs. There's just no way Laura can win. Well, see, hypothetically, the only defense I would have had there is if I used Polymorph to give myself a second uh, health bar, I could have turned myself into a secondary T-Rex, and that would have given me extra health. But uh, other things that like really could have been hammered on me is um, the fan was used to try and dispel my Arcane Sword, and it failed. A, if that had succeeded, I'd have been left with no way to deal damage myself other than the T-Rex. Um... Like, potentially, maybe give that one more go, see if you can knock out my arcane sword, because otherwise, like, that's that's my only way to do free damage while I'm I'm no-clipped. Um, yeah, like, I, I, I was worried I was going to get my shit wrecked. <laughs> if we did that fight a hundred times, I think uh, CoinTube would win 99 times. It's, it's yeah. a weird fluke that it, it's not oh, how no, it turned I- out. <laughs> I was I was sat there ready for Nifix to die because I was like, yeah, I'm, I've got. I had I had like her. I'm I'm dying. Here's my dying monologue plan. <laughs> well, I was but, ready for but, it. You know, at the same time, the goal, at least my goal, wasn't to kill Nifix. Yeah, Conrad oh. had the whole thing fucking in hand the whole time. Everyone in the audience was who's going to win. Me and the Laura f- freaking out about the balance. Conrad's just sitting in the back of the class, just smiling impishly. <laughs> Because he knows it doesn't matter who wins, he's gonna come out on top. Oh, I I agree that like you fucking nailed that fight in terms of getting what you wanted. I think in terms of like 
Had had the two of you wanted to defeat Nifix, I think I think the key deciding factor is none of the maths we've just been talking about. It's the fact that I don't think Nifix had it in her to kill either of you. And I I think that like had that counter spell failed, you'd have defeated Nifix. Like Nif Nifix was never gonna kill either of you. She was she was gonna fight as hard as she could to let you both go and to have you leave. And she was going to be too trusting. And those were probably the best openings to to defeat her. Yeah. As as much as she 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 wanted to complete her thing, she had no ill will against either of your aims. Like, as long as they didn't get in the way of what she was trying to do, she didn't bear any ill will against you. Chris, how was your final boss fight? <laughs> it was pretty sweet. Uh, someone asked what ice cream King dropped on the ground. I'm gonna say it was mint chocolate chip, which is a shame, but it's a green ice cream, just like he's kind of green. So, you know, <laughs> it was very on theme for him. Yeah. Symbolism. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm glad King left, and uh, there was no risk of me accidentally killing King or anything. But also, like, if there was anyone who could have like stood there and gone, who could have taught Nifix down, like King is the only person who like Nifix would have looked at and gone. Actually, yeah, you did try and stop being a killer and it's worked out all right for you. Uh, maybe. Uh, so we return to the question, Conrad, would you ever want to be a villain in a season? Um, I'm certainly not opposed to it. If, if the right character came along, if the right opportunity and, you know, it it felt right. Sure, I, I, I'd do it. Um, it's not like a goal, I wouldn't say. I have the capacity. I've DM'd, so... This isn't a particularly novel thing for D&D, but is, I think, the first time for us as a show. Uh, season 7 is going to open with a clear villain. We've never really done that before, but from the first episode, yeah. there's really no ambiguity about who the final boss is. And we've never done that before, and I don't know if that will be freeing to where, like, oh, no, I don't have to worry about all this ambiguity and wh- what is it building to. Or if it'll just be like, oh, yeah, like every other podcast. <laughs> it's like, yeah, like every other actual play thing. But we'll see. I've never listened to one of those, so... It'll be nice to do something different next season. Like, this is what I always like about starting a new Dice Funk season. It's like, okay, how how we changing shit up this time? Yeah, when we started this, I said I wanted to be like Final Fantasy, where each one is uh, so weirdly different than every other one that people get attached to the cast or the setting or the stuff, and they have strong favorites. Uh, But what we're doing next season is almost like... It's like the most traditional D&D thing we've ever done, which would normally bore me, but we've done five years of very like weird and subversive and unusual campaigns. So for us, a normal D&D campaign actually feels fresh now. It, it's a it's a palate cleanser. Uh, I mean, there will there will be plenty of Dice Funk weirdness. Don't get it twisted. Yeah. But it's going to be a, a more, much more traditional go on a quest. There is a bad guy kind of thing. So... I'm interested to see how that's received after a very high concept, very uh, philosophical <laughs> and very emotionally fraught season. Next season, simple punch, bad guy, go. <laughs> we got a question here uh, from Sam K at elderly goose. How much research did you do for this and how much was flexing previous knowledge? This is a very fun question for me because I thought going into this, this will be the easiest season because heaven, hell, Elysium, uh, limbo, purgatory. These are all things with uh, th- that have been talked about for thousands of years. They're so Googleable. 
oh gosh, if you have any questions, it's so easy to find the answers. <laughs> and boy, did I look like a fucking asshole. <laughs> Were we supposed to get all of your different like uh, religious name drops and things like that? I, I'm going to be honest, like part of it for me is like, it feels like, it feels like I'm cheating on an exam if I Google stuff that you mention in the podcast because I'm like, what if I Google it and it just tells me the answer to this campaign? Like this campaign, I probably shouldn't do that. I should discover it as the character does. I mean, there were a couple of moments where I was literally worried about that. Where I was like, if they just Google how limbo works in D and D, this entire uh, Jasper House thing is going to fall apart because it's it's literally word for word exactly how it is in the book is how it works. I didn't change anything about it. Austin, Austin, yeah. You thought we might put additional effort in. <laughs> you thought we might do homework. You thought I'd read a book? <laughs> I mean, really, sir? I realize I'm the dumbass here. Um, but yeah, so, th- so this actually almost forms like a trilogy. These the last three seasons, like there's the first three seasons, which are just kind of like D&D, but a little uh, gayer and weirder. And then there's four, five and six which are Shadowrun, Spelljammer, and Planescape very specifically. And I, I did want to explore those settings and play with their their monsters and themes and ideas and stuff, but they did not get... Um, they did not make easier the things I thought they would make easier, which is, like, lore and stuff. But people... I, I think I said this on the episode, was, like, when I introduced the concept of the Spell Plague, I thought, anybody who wants to know about that will just look it up. And they did not, and they were very mad at me. <laughs> so... Um, I, th- I think for the foreseeable future, we're not going to be uh, directly adapting any setting stuff. It's mostly just our stuff, if that makes sense. So then people can make lore YouTube videos about Dice Funk now. Yeah, so sh- I guess we should probably talk about the endings, like the, the faction endings, because it was set up that... So it was set up relatively early that the stakes were, if you sided with the Aethar, uh, that we would reach the Dark Sun setting. If you sided with the Believers, we would reach uh, what was called the Time of Troubles at the end of First Edition. And if you sided with uh, anybody else, basically, we would get the Spell Plague, which is uh, what happened at the end of Third Edition. So there's there's uh, precedent for all of them. They're all very well documented. If you were curious how any of that would turn uh, turn out you could just look it up um but what ended up happening is we got a mix i don't know how i wasn't prepared for that seems pretty stupid in, in hindsight doesn't it yeah yeah the the way you presented it to us was like there are three very definitive paths and like the effects they would have on how conduits would be a part of the world or not in the following season was like the the initial way you sort of presented it to us it was like each of these factions could lead to varying degrees of yes or no conduits. Yeah, so what we ended up with was the combination of two of the endings, which I, I didn't have an explicit um, plan for, but actually does weirdly fall into an existing D&D setting. Uh, there is a setting where uh, there are minor gods, but it's also post-apocalyptic, which is the setting of Mistara, which uh, you may know from the Capcom video games. They released um, a collection, I think like an HD collection of two of them, when I was reviewing games for a living. So I, that's where I know them from. Um, none of you have any idea what Mistara is, do you? I actually do. Oh, shit. Because just recently, I've been going through different campaign settings, and Mistara is one, and uh, I did a little bit of research on that. <laughs> I'm also, I also get confused 
by it a lot because I'm doing a one-shot that's based primarily on the god of magic, Mistra, and I confuse the two very frequently. Yeah. So uh, season seven is not like a Mistara season. It's just a coincidence that there is a D&D thing that kind of lines up with where we left it. Um, the next couple of seasons of Dice Funk are not direct adaptations of anything. They're just our universe uh, where gods exist, but they're not as powerful as they used to be. Uh, there's been a great calamity by, caused by the death of the Yggdrasil, um, and conduits exist. I guess now we should talk about that. Chris, you set me up. We're here now. Um, how do we feel about conduits going forward? So I was uh, very much on the camp that I kind of wanted the Aethar ending secretly because I kind of wanted to get rid of conduits so we wouldn't have to deal with them going forward. Uh, they are... Very cool, and they are a very unique piece of Dice Funk storytelling, uh, but they can become kind of a handcuff when creating your character, because we, we it's particularly in this season to last season, we had so many like huge conduits. We had two conduits in season five that literally changed the entire course of the campaign frequently, and when you create a character, you're kind of like, I kind of feel like I need to do something like that, or I'm just kind of wasting it, aren't I? Mm. It's, it's really... Mm. With conduits being what they are, such a distillation of like a core aspect of who a character is, it can feel when you're first trying to roleplay that character and work out who they are a little like you have to play them. To, it, it's kind of how alignments can be a little bit limiting sometimes in how you play a character in that you go, should I do this? Does it fit with this thing that I've arbitrarily decided is a defining part of my character at the start of the season? And in the same way that, like, it's sometimes quite nice to just not worry too much about an alignment at the start of the season, sometimes it's not. It's nice to just, like, I don't know my character well enough at the start of the season to tell you what their conduit is yet. Yeah, I mean, we're we're approaching a world where, like, not to, I guess, bury the lead, but next season, none of us have conduits at the start. None of the player characters, yeah. anyway. Yeah, so I said, uh, going to the character creation for Season 7, because I think at this point it was clear who was going to win. Like, uh, the, 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 the woman of Hurt had been stabbed through the eye, so it was clear the Believers were going to win, basically, and that Nifix had gone on her own thing. So I, I toast, sent a message to everyone creating their characters. They're like, so it looks like conduits are going to be an option, but no longer mandatory. And then immediately everyone started saying, I don't want one, I don't want one, I don't want one. <laughs> everyone was just like, not it, not it, not it, nose goes. <laughs> uh, and so, it, yeah, go ahead. The, the, yeah, well, there was this thing for a there's been this thing for a while where when you're playing Dice Funk, it's like, Every time you meet a new character, what's your conduit? And it's going to be nice to be in a setting where, like, they go back to being a bit of a surprising, like, oh, didn't expect you would have a conduit. Oh, that's cool. Rather than, like, an expectation. Yeah, so so now they are a tool a character can access if that's an interesting thing to do. But they are not a, a thing that everyone has to have. Um, I, I still think it's a cool option to have in the quiver. It's not mandatory. I think, uh, Chris, you once compared it to Stans and JoJo, how it's like the most iconic, beloved thing, but it's also like there's only so much you can do, and yeah. at a certain point, it just becomes fo a formula, which can be stifling. Yeah. Uh, it, it, if you do it every time, you're either going to run out of the really cool ideas, or you're just going to have to keep forcing them forward and try to find new ways to do it. Uh, so much so, uh, we're talking about JoJo Arki tried to get away from Stans, and they were like, no, you need to put those back in. What are you doing? 
<laughs> you can't just be a manga about horse racing. Get out of here. <laughs> so as like the most iconic and popular element of the show, they are not going away, but now they will be uh, rarer and uh, I feel like probably they will feel more special. In fact, um, and this is, I guess, the last opportunity for us to discuss this before we set it in stone. I think conduits and godhood are going to be one and the same. So going forward, mm. there are going to be regular people like the player characters you start off off as. And then there are going to be people in the world who have a special connection to the world of forms. They are conduits and they're also like Cordelia living gods. They are as close to gods as possible. And that's just going to be the same thing. Yeah. Does that make, is, is that where, how you guys are thinking of it? I, yeah. I, I, I like the picture of it that like, if someone does become one of those rare people where like they have such a special connection to something, maybe not at birth, but like at some point in their life that they go, ah, I've become a conduit, they ascend to godhood. They're like, godhood is something that's not just like, there were gods and they exist. It's like, yeah, maybe you could become a god if you happen to be really, really dedicated on one thing. But uh, It's just starting to sound like the American dream to me. I'm not sure <laughs> I'd buy this. <laughs> It's. I mean, there actually is a uh, analog um, in Mistara, which are the immortals. Mistara's like gimmick is that there are no gods; there are just people who ascend to a higher level called immortals. Like I said, the, it, it's a coincidence that we've stumbled into this, but there is precedence. Um, and Mistara's other kind of um, almost retroactive gimmick is that it's actually a post-apocalyptic version of a different setting that they were contractually obligated to publish material for. Uh, and so they're like, well, we don't have any plans for this material. We'll just say it's the backstory of Mistara, which is a very clever way to get out of that contractual obligation. Um, but yeah, so so going forward, there, there are people and there are conduits and the conduits are essentially gods. That's kind of one and the same. Um, do we need to set up any more of that or are we going to get back to the questions? When's our birthright season, Austin? We got a question here from Twisted Light at the Twisted Light on Twitter. How would uh, Blake kill uh, the Furies, Kato, and other NPCs that come to mind? Yeah, Batman. What's your <laughs> contingency plan? Well, I, I mean, uh, King would have to be poisoned. <laughs> yeah, it'd be pretty have easy. to be poisoned because he's so trustworthy. The, yeah, the, there's just there's, yeah, uh, there's no. Uh, there's no way you could risk having to take him on. Uh, so that would have to be, um, that would be that. Uh, Cordelia would probably, you'd probably, I'd probably set up a, like a saw type trap that she'd have to slither her way into. <laughs> um, and, and, and do that under the premise that someone talked some shit about her. And they're going to be, be at this easy. place. It'd be real uh, easy. It'd be pretty easy to get her. Nifix, I there'd probably have to be some sort of gaming impetus to to lure her out of her apartment. I mean, at this point, Nifix is untouchable, so that's <laughs> uh, the one that got away, I guess. <laughs> I mean, that's the thing. Back, back before the, before the, you know, before her first getting killed, Nivix would have been a real easy target to kill. Not really paying attention to anyone that could have been a threat to her, and very much promoting where she was at any given time. Yeah, a good mark. Yeah. We got some questions about uh, Blake's epilogue. I, I didn't read them because I assumed Conrad, you said all you've wanted to say about where he ends up. Yeah, I have nothing else to say about where Blake goes. I thought so. We got a question here from Bethany Turner at 
uh, Delta Star on Twitter. Uh, Camilla's black amber sword. Was that meant to be Boris, the sword that once belonged to Joan and is briefly wielded by Elias in season two? Uh, yes. Um, every season I try to do like one or two little references to past seasons. Um, that was one of them. Camilla is an interesting case of where she is like one of the NPCs I had the most material for. I was most invested in and none of the players were. So we really didn't get to explore her. And that's just the way it happens sometimes. It also happens in the opposite direction where there's a character I don't give a shit about and they become a huge hit and everyone loves them. Uh, the biggest example that comes to mind is Babish from last season. <laughs> you weren't even there for his yeah, birth. Yeah, say, you didn't have any real control in that character's creation and, and explosion either. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but that's how that's what being a DM is. It's it's just finding what the players are interested in and exploring it. You can't have an ego about these things. If, a, if the players aren't interested in the character, you got to throw them in the trash, even if you spend a lot of time and you care a lot about them, which is the, the situation with Camilla. And this is why... This is why Roman Reigns will never, ever go over. <laughs> I know that's a wrestling thing. <laughs> uh, he loves that joke. Regular snowman at Mike Mikester Chief on Twitter asked, will future, se- will future seasons uh, reset to level one characters? Um, every God, season. No. Please, no. <laughs> Level one characters in five E are awful. Uh, not quite level <laughs> you, one, but you not- have you have like six health and everything hurts. Uh, every season has its own needs, so we'll do high level seasons, we'll do low level seasons, we'll do mid level seasons. It just depends on uh, what the story we're trying to tell is. Next season, I think we're starting at level three, if I recall correctly. Yeah, that's uh, what Mashik says. Because the characters are relatively fragile and they're going on a quest, they're going on a very uh, traditional, almost Lord of the Rings esque journey. Um, and they will become strong along the way, but they need to start off as hobbits leaving the Shire. So it's one of the lower ones we've done. Yeah, do you guys have any thoughts about uh, levels? This is the highest we've ever gotten. Uh, this is also, remember how earlier I said, you don't want a villain season. You think you want it, but when you get it, you're going to hate it. This is also what I said about high-level seasons. Everyone's like, oh, they should do like a high-level season. I'm like, the combat's going to stretch on forever. You're going to get bored. You're going you're gonna to get tired of it. I'm telling you. Stop. Starting high level, like, there was initially a little bit of a hurdle of, I have so much stuff I need to remember off the bat, but, like, once I got to grips with it, it was really nice to have so many different tools at my disposal. It's it's interesting, because there's, there's a lot of DMs out there who will say, uh, like, if you start your party from, like, level one, the plan's to get a 20, uh, you let the players roll at level 20 for, like, one session for fun, and then you end the game, because D&D at high levels... Uh, is a horrendously balanced system that favors usually the spellcasters because you guys get get spells that alter reality per day sort of things. And everything has a ton of hit points. Everything has a thousand effects. Um, So it's something... I think we actually found the sweet spot where we were kind of like Hmm. high mid-level as opposed to actually being high level. Like no one had... 8th or ninth level spell slots. This is where you get the stuff that's like power word kill and stuff that's just going to make a mess of everything as soon as I use it. You you made a really good point there in that like, yeah, I think why I like this, that sort of level range is yeah, spellcasters can do like 20, 30 different things at that point whereas fighters, you do higher number when you punch. I had so many people tell me throughout the season like, wow, Chris built a really strong character and I don't know how to break it to you. I just picked the samurai class for fighter and they do everything themselves. I I min-max nothing. I was just like, oh, cool. I'll pick the character that f- 
punches a whole bunch and always with advantage. Yeah, you mentioned balance, Chris. I want th- I've said this before, but I want this in a very clippable segment. So whenever anyone asks about balance and dice funk, you can just clip this and send it to them. Um, I have no interest in balance. I am actually invested in murdering balance. I'm going to desecrate its corpse. I'm going to mutilate it so badly that you will not be able to identify it through dental records. That's how I feel about the concept of balance. Jesus, man. I mean, it's for for me, it's just it's another mechanical aspect. I don't care if the it's it's fine to have, you know, a high-level character with a whole bunch of options available to them, but if the system drags down the storytelling, mm. then what the fuck are we even doing? Mm. Uh, you know, and that's that's the point at which, you know, and I think that's the point at which I start to throw rules away. You know, not all of them, mm. but I start to ignore the rules and focus on, because once it reaches an epic scope, you're, you need to stop worrying about minutia. I don't think we've ever paid attention to like when, when I played a ranger uh, in season six, worrying about, Oh, are you keeping track of your ammo? No, mm. no, explicitly not. Also, not gonna happen next season. We have a ranger. No, the ammo is infinite. Fuck you. Yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff we just ignore because it's not fun for telling a story that can be told in you know ninety minute chunks. Also, it's not fun and should not be part of the game. Yeah, that'd be terrible. What's the point? <laughs> um, we got a question here from L- Locobo at Locobo Four on Twitter. Any places you'd want you'd have wanted to visit in Planescape but didn't get to. Um, I guess this is mostly for me. I actually think I hit everything. I specifically tried to keep it very simple with uh, Sigil, uh, Heaven, Abyss, and then uh, like uh, t- just touching on the other ones. Like we went to Hades for like 20 minutes. We <laughs> went to Gehenna for like 20 minutes. Just get, getting a little taste of everything, just like a, a buffet, but only really focusing on the ones that had a lot of um, a resonance with the audience. Everyone knows meat. what Heaven is. You focus on the meat because that's where the buffet like is. That's where you're really hitting them. Like, don't even fucking bother with salad. They're not paying anything for that. <laughs> um, but actually, one element of the season I'm really satisfied with is how I drained all of the juice out of the existing uh, lore and mythology and so forth. Like, I wanted to get this all out of the way so that it's gone. Like, there's no reason to ever bring Greek or Norse or Egyptian mythology back. We did it. We crushed it. It's good. It's gone now. We don't have to think about it again. It can't hurt us anymore. <laughs> oh, thank goodness. Um, so everyone's like, oh, wow, Austin's really self-indulgent this season doing all his religion stuff. And yeah, that's that's a little true, although it's also just in the, the text. I didn't bring it there. It was already there. But also this is like the, the fireworks finale, right? Like I burned it all down. It's gone now. And now we can move on to all fresh mythology. So I destroyed all the planes so Austin doesn't have to come back to them. <laughs> Here's a, I don't know how this is, this question is going to go, but let's see. Leah Plath at Leah underscore Plath on Twitter asks, Chris, what advice can you give to other storytellers? <laughs> this is great because everyone recognizes you are the, the genius of the cast and you hate admitting that. So let's put him on the spot. I'm really not. Everyone brings so many unique things to the table. I don't know why they say this about me. Because you're so it's like a it's like a cool It's like a cruel genie wish. Like one time when I was seven and I felt really <laughs> self-conscious, like, I wish people recognized me more and then as i got older i'm like oh no i'm a fraud 
The monkey's paw curled. <laughs> Literally every season I have been in with you, you have been the char- the player who I've gone, oh shit, you knocked it out of the park more than anyone else. You consistently just like fucking Yeah, you're like the bar shit. that I aspire to. Thank you very much. I disagree with all that, but I appreciate the compliments. Uh, for storytelling advice, I would say one thing is to just always be truthful with your characters. Even when it goes against what you really want to do, uh, just side with them and what you think they would do. And then beyond that, uh, I would keep track of the little things. I think those are the big, de- big details that help characters really live out in people's minds and uh, often help them kind of figure things out. I would say uh, recognize your tropes, but also recognize when to go against them because that's uh, that's the way you get interesting stuff. There are a lot of really great uh, writing advice people to follow on Twitter. Um, I'm going to say, oh, God, what's his name? R. Cargill, I think is his name. He was the writer for the Doctor Strange movie. And uh, if you follow him, he gives really great writing advice all the time. I highly recommend giving him a follow. Uh, we got a question here from uh, Quarantinion at Inside I'm Goblin. <laughs> That's very good. Who asks, is it possible after King dies that he descend to godhood? He did uh, He did join the believers, even if he wasn't super active. I'm not sure that's true that you actually joined. You said you were going to take no. him over, and then you didn't. Uh, but this gives me a good uh, segue to talk about King's journey, because I think there was a p- part of the season where uh, Chris was criticized for doing a very good job of playing uh, King as someone who isn't very smart but wants to help. Um, so there's that part where he's like, yes, I want to join the Aether. He gets the glove. And then he says, no, I want to take over the Believers. And he goes talk to Camilla. And he says, no, I want to help the Slods. And it seemed like that indecisiveness was like was like a weakness of your storytelling i think it actually is you were playing the character very well and i also think it's very funny for me personally as someone who behind the scenes was like okay king joined the athar now i have to set up a character arc for this i have to design encounters and payoffs and npcs oh no you joined the believers i gotta throw all that in trash okay new character arc new encounters new bosses new no you're not okay now i have to do the slot arc throwing that all in the trash and like i kept having to completely recontextualize the final arc basically for king this is fun (laughs) that that was one of my favorite things about about one of my favorite king moments was this whole like he consistently was like i i he just wants to be helping everyone and he doesn't he's like yeah but 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 i want to help you no but uh, but i want to help that he had too many people he wanted to do nice things for and not 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 enough know how to do uh, but the question is, would King become a god? No, he did not join the believers. The, fir- new, the first new generation of gods are, are the believers, because those are the people who believed that they should become gods, and Planescape makes belief true. So only Cordelia joined, only Cordelia gets to be a god. I, there's some questions in here about, would Blake become the god of mundanity? <laughs> Suck it. <laughs> but no, only Cordelia. And then over the you know undefined period between six and seven, uh, there are no new believers. That just becomes the status quo. And then only certain people become conduits. I don't know if I, we want to talk about how that works. Um, I have an idea, but it you as the audience listening to me right now don't really know how people become conduits from now on. It's a mystery because it used to be everyone and now it's not. And how that changed is I think something the player characters of season, season seven will discover on their journey. So don't lose any sleep over it now. Well, shit, now I'm going to lose some sleep over it. (laughs) (laughs) Now, see, this is also a fun thing about Season 7 is because it's post-apocalyptic. It's uh, in a place where nobody had formal education and you're all just kind of trying to live your lives out there, which means none of you, the players or the characters, are expected to know any lore. You're all... Oh, 
what a gift. You can totally justify not having done any homework, not Googling, not reading the stuff I send you because you can just like, my character, my character doesn't know that. He's from the wasteland. We're all idiots that don't know what's going on. This is perfect. But Austin, I just read some of the D&D books finally. I was ready to be like, all right, Austin, which which demon lord are we talking about this week? How about Yargabal, the Nor one? Yargle balls. <laughs> you can yargle my balls. <laughs> yargle, yargle. <laughs> yargle balls. Um, <laughs> no, I, I, yeah, this this is a deliberate clean c- cut. I was trying to kill off all of the old mythology, all the old lore, uh, and just descend it into the void because one of the interesting things about D&D is it always uh, has like ancient history that people always are uncovering ancient artifacts and ancient plots and ancient secret societies that control the world or whatever. But they're only ancient because the books say they are. There's no actual history there. But in Dice Funk, there is. In season seven, you come across something ancient from season one or two or three. That is part of our history. And I think that's way more interesting than me saying, you know, in a book from 1984, there was something that is said to be ancient. (laughs) It's just not as compelling as it actually being our history. So there's not going to be any hand to Vecna? God, Vecna fucking sucks. What a bad (laughs) villain. Eat my entire ass, Vecna. I should also say that um, the way the second edition actually ended, because Planescape was a second edition um, setting, the way second edition ended was in a story called Die, Vecna, Die, where Vecna attacks the city of Sigil, and the player characters you know, fight him in a boss fight, and they win. And then the Lady of Pain just reorders the universe. You know how Nifix had to go through this entire character arc to do this thing? The Lady of Pain just decides to do it, and it happens, because that's how powerful she is. She's so cool. Yeah. But that's why I, seeing people getting really upset at the idea of an apocalypse is was, took me by surprise because D&D is constantly being apocalypsed. Like every couple of years it blows up and uh, it's not considered like that big of an event. So the, the Lady of Pain literally just uh, completely changes reality on a whim at the end of sec- second edition for, for the record. Um Got a question here from Kanza at Kanza underscore Doom. Was the ghost of tragedy Nifix saw a few times after she killed her really tragedy or just a hallucination brought on by Nifix's use of bone juice? Oh, that's a good question. That is a really good question, he says, Isn't not it answering just... it. I here's the thing. I'm not even gonna say what my opinion on that is. I think that's I think that's best left left. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm not intending to answer it. I just thought I'd read it on air. Yeah, it's an interesting question. <laughs> You're just trolling them now. <laughs> it's like that really bad scene in Dark Knight uh, Returns or Rises where they have Ra's al Ghul show up and you're like, oh, is he actually alive or is it just a ghost? But at the end, they have him fade away. and You're like, oh, it was just a ghost. It would have been a lot cooler if you hadn't actually explained this to me. <laughs> uh, we got a question from Einar Johansson at Mr. Zoinker. That's fun to say on Twitter. <laughs> was the fate of the real Lady of Pain kept intentionally unspecified or were the players that would have been able to figure out what actually happened to her? Uh, the first. Uh, I, had, I actually had no intention of including her like in the first draft because she's so powerful you cannot reason with her you cannot fight her she doesn't talk she's like a really hard character to implement she just kind of represents the dm's uh total control over the setting anytime you want something to happen you can just say and the lady of pain does it and that's the how it happens she's more of a plot device than a person so i wasn't even going to include her at all until i thought of the twist that there's a 
there could be a lady of pain impersonator who turns out to be a character who is otherwise likable. And that's when I decided to include her at all. And I, I never once, even for a moment, considered actually having the real lady of pain show up or having uh, the players discover where she disappeared to. So I'm sorry if you thought that was a possibility. <laughs> She's a punk ass bitch. She's lame. <laughs> Thank you, Chris. I, it's an interesting I, <laughs> mythical, like, but it's just, there's nothing there. It's, there's nothing there. <laughs> Get wrecked, Lady of Pain. You know, it's, wow. a, it's, a, it's a boogeyman. Uh, we got a question from Andrew Fedgie. Uh, at Fedgesicle on Twitter asks, was either Nifix or Pope set to be the final villain? And if not, was there a main trajectory trajectory that would have been otherwise? Um, so from episode one, my thought was if they side with the Aethar, the Believers are the final boss. If they side with the Believers, the Aethar are the final boss. And if there's some kind of party split, each side of that split are each other's final boss, which I guess is the closest it came to turning out. It's a little more complicated than that. But... um. That that's kind of how I was thinking, but I'm always open to stuff. I there was a point where I wasn't sure if Matilda was gonna become a major villain if Nifix didn't work with her. But saw how that went. Hmm. <laughs> I'm very interested to see how you all respond to the obvious villain in season seven. I'm I saw some concern out there. People were like, "Oh, post-apocalyptic. That's gonna be very dark." Uh, I think it's gonna be the, probably the most comfortingly normal heroic narrative. We were talking before the, we started recording about how the the perception that I make very dark stories, even though when I'm a player character, I'm always making just the most buffoonish clowns. I I, I think this might be our lightest season. What do you all it, think? It's going to be comforting until we get a total party wipe in the final episode and the villain wins. <laughs> I think it's. I think it'll be a little more wholesome than usual. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, wet and sticky. Maybe not you guys. Wet and sticky, but wholesome. Yeah. No. Well, Austin tends to give us like a heads up on like inspirations for the season at the start of it. And when you described season seven having like kind of like a eyes wide a, shut, yeah, I yeah, uh, yeah. Was, uh, eyes wide shut. And I was like, what? all right, time to get out my masochist character. Time to play Volvo <laughs> from uh, from <laughs> Soul, Soul Caliber. <laughs> uh, but you mentioned Adventure Time. And at that point, I was like, mm, maybe I shouldn't just play a, sh- a surly asshole. Maybe I'll play something different. Yeah, I actually thought about this before. It's like, no matter what uh, tone I tried to bring to any of these last couple seasons, the 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 die was always kind of cast from the start. Because I looked at it like, season three, Zoe is defined by an abusive childhood. Uh, Veltari is defined by an abusive childhood. Season four, uh, Katarina is defined by an abusive childhood. <laughs> Um, season five, uh, Dreg defined by an abusive childhood. Uh, season <laughs> Don't call si- us out like this, Austin. <laughs> I think like all of our characters are like in an abusive relationship or haven't had an abusive childhood. And season six, obviously, King abusive childhood being raised to murder. So it's like no matter w- if I was like, this is the sunshine and lollipops and rainbows season. It was. It's always going to end up dealing with your characters. Your characters make the story, so it's it's o- almost out of my hands to a certain extent. Okay, real. Quick. Quick. We're all depressed. Who has an abusive child narrative in their character this next season? Maybe me. I can put one in just for you. <laughs> Chris's character's abusive childhood is in progress as the season starts. Yeah. <laughs> I do not. Hooray. Um, 
this is an elaborate w- way of me saying I actually intend to bring a much more comedic tone to these shows, and I'm always overruled. Uh, see, I can tell you in advance like what, what my response is going to be to a very clear, immediate villain from the start of the season, which is we're going to hit episode one, and I'm going to go... It's too fucking easy. That can't be the villain. It's too obvious. It's a trap. <laughs> They're actually good, and there's a secret villain hidden somewhere else we have to find. That's totally possible. Yeah, I, I said, like, as if it's set in stone, that that's how it's going to be. You could all decide to fuck off two episodes, and it could be something else completely, because that's the kind of show we make. Um, We got a question here from Alex Caliber at Xcaliber on Twitter. Other Planescape factions you wish had featured more prominently? This is funny because our earlier Chris said that if we could do it again, maybe he'd engage more. But I, I sent a list of the factions very early in the season <laughs> to the players, and the only one who got back to me was Lauren, who ended up becoming a god. So I'm glad she looked at it. <laughs> oh, I did do a good thing. You did. Um. So this this whole season has been... It's almost been... The entire show, the Dice Funk, has been leading up to this season because I've been trying to figure out a way to make something very complicated palatable to an audience who doesn't maybe know anything about it because it's a, it's a setting with 16 factions and 30 planes. It's a lot to keep track of. So I've been kind of... Oh, every season up to this has been like me but learning about like how much I can burden the audience with with lore and factions and stuff and I I ended up boiling it down to literally two factions and like three planes and it still was overwhelming for some people so I just don't think we can really fit more in is the problem even if other stuff is interesting what do you all think about the cognitive load of this season yeah no Mm-mm. <laughs> Mm-mm. nope I'm good this is like the absolute upper limit of complexity. <laughs> and I know how little of this that we touched upon, because it is just a fast thing. Um, it wasn't, I think for people who, who with uh, better attention spans, uh, probably wasn't, wouldn't have been as much of a burden. But it's also, you know, we get together for two hours once a week and a lot a lot of shit happens in between them. So I, I've i learned I need to take notes is really what it is. I'm not going to, but I, I really need to. See, like, so, like, the major comparison to the, the factions is the guilds in Ravnica, which I know intimately. But if you had tried to describe the guilds of Ravnica to me before I started playing Match Together, I'd be like, blah, blah, blah. The only thing that sounds cool is, like, the murder circus. And that would have been it. <laughs> But now I love them all, and that's why halfway through the season, like, oh, wow, this is a pretty cool factions. I wish I had kind of been able to really recognize it at the start, but now it's too late. <laughs> yeah, it's one of those things where it's like once you get your 10,000 hours of practice, it becomes second nature. But at that point, you've left behind all the normies <laughs> that you need to make the show work. So you can't only rely on the very dedicated, hardcore nerds like myself. Austin, you're not a nerd. You're a dork. Get it right. Well, you want to hear some dorky shit that I was about to lead to, which was yep. I just said how all this, the seasons leading up to this have been kind of like a runway for the season I was really passionate about, which is Planescape. Um, in another way, all of the seasons, including six, have been a kind of runway to dice the dice funk universe coming out of the shadow of Dungeons and Dragons lore. I talked about blowing up the mythology, obviously killing the gods, destroying the planes. Huh. Also, each season at least each season I DM'd has a kind of a, a deconstructive element. So like season two kind of destructs, uh, deconstructs the idea of monster races like drow and orcs that exist only to beat experience points out of season three deconstructs the idea that like the good gods are 
benevolent or like why are evil gods just dicks for no reason season four deconstructs like the economics of some species having inherent magical powers and some being like quote-unquote slave species like the robots or the mole folk season five deconstructs the idea of like an adventuring guild or like adventuring in general like it, it kind of is like neo-colonialism essentially and season six like deconstructs almost like the idea of villainy that was a lot of nifix but also just like political violence like what is Cato trying to accomplish is he a good person did he make the world better and now that we've taken each element of D&D and deconstructed it we've taken this entire thing apart it's like screw by screw uh, now it's time to build something out of all these parts like going forward I don't think I have anything left to say about D&D and we're still going to use 5th edition but I think from now it's like we're going to build a new universe together from the ashes of Nifix's decision. That's cool. I had an impact. Woo. <laughs> I want clowns in the new world. A lot of, no. a lot of clowns. No. Hey, I almost played a clown in next season. I, I, no. yeah, Chris, Chris, change it now. Be a clown. We will no. build a new clown order. <laughs> clown order. <laughs> arc, arc. It's kind of interesting that the history of Dice Funk is the history of women making decisions, really, from Dora killing the gods to Lenora blowing up uh, the Ainsoft to give everyone conduits to Nifix uh, killing the Yggdrasil. And I guess Sasha defending the timeline from and Lavinia. Cassius's army I get de- and Lavinia destroying the timeline. It wasn't intentional, but it occurs to me now that like, every major event in our history that dif- differentiates it from D&D was like a woman deciding... I'm going to change things. It's just a- okay. So, so much like Horizons are adorned something, we're going to end up in like a matriarchal society soon because because women make all the choices. Hell yeah! Hell yeah! Let's do it. Oh no! Wait! Stop! <laughs> Aaron rules three eighty at Aaron rules three eighty on Twitter asks, uh, can the canonical name for King's Charity be the King Badass Center for Kids Who Can't Read Good and Who Want to Learn to Do Other Stuff Good Too? Yeah, absolutely. Is that a Zoolander Fuck joke? yeah. <laughs> Go for it, my man. Zoolander is the only film I've ever walked out of in theaters. <laughs> I love Zoolander. What's wrong with you? I was young. Maybe I appreciate it more now. It might be the only Ben Stiller leading film that I like, like him in because I can't stand him as a leading man. I I don't feel like Zoolander is the kind of film that Austin the lawyer would like. No, Austin loves dumb shit. He's, he's, Austin's a cop. He's not gonna like Zoolander. The only reason I've seen Troll 2 in the room is because of Austin. <laughs> so, he loves dumb things. Um. Yeah, so in the actual episode, I asked Chris what was in the name of the organization, and he didn't really answer. Did you have one, or are you just adopting this joke? Uh, yeah, yeah, that's what we're going to go with, I think, because uh, I thought I had something and it's gone now. So yeah, uh, the, <laughs> the, the the Zoolander thing. <laughs> that's the name of it. Jacob Long at Coco Pelli Orca asks, Chris, had the New York Slod survived, what class would it have been if you had decided to play them? Oh, I don't know. That'd be something I'd have to really think about. Because I was really looking forward to doing the voice there. Oh, and he probably wouldn't have been New York Slide. He'd have been called Bada Bing. And he maybe be a <laughs> barbarian. And every time he goes rage, he's like, oh, I'm walking over here. And then he hits someone with a big axe. Chris, do you want to talk about the decision to bring King back? Because that was a big thing behind the scenes was uh, we did not expect 
King to die, and then he did, and then you basically had to be talked down from the ledge of keeping <laughs> King dead. Uh, yeah, I, I was very much in the idea uh, at that point. I was like, you know what? People aren't really digging this. So I was like, why don't I just go and play Lloyd? And I had a whole plan set forward of how Lloyd would become part of the party and why King wouldn't come back. And Lloyd's ultimate goal was basically to keep King from coming back while he did everything to become a god. So that went because his thought process was if King comes back, he's just going to die again because he's already died twice. So you just can't stop it. His thought process was I'll become a god and I'll be able to bring back King and all my other siblings who died in that organization. And then as a god, I'll be able to protect all of them. Uh, but there was going to be some dark stuff going through, <laughs> like the opening, like downtime scene for him was going to be him abandoning Lime over at McNugget's place. Yeah, for, for me, the actually biggest, the biggest reason why I was uh, for you keeping King was that we went through that whole arc about getting a diamond that brings people back like two episodes before he died. So it would have just felt like very forced to not use it. Mm. Yeah, I, I had ways to work around that. But I think there were a lot of things that went against it. Plus, Lloyd, as I imagined him, was probably too powerful to be a player character. Uh, his conduit was kind of broken in the initial plan. So it's probably good that we didn't go that way. Although, had we, I can't imagine he definitely would have been a lot more of a character focused on the uh, the faction side of things. Also, this means you finally had a season where you only played one character, which means when you do it, when when you kill off a character or switch characters next season and the season after that or whatever, you can always point to this one as the one time you didn't do it. I'm going to fall down a hole in episode one of season seven so I can immediately <laughs> start playing the other dude that I made. <laughs> oh, King. Uh, I call Chris King. That's, that's <laughs> we're basically one in the same when you get down to it. In fact, we have a question here from Minty at D&D-E girl. Oh, Chris, the question is phrased at Chris. One, how dare you? Two, why are you so horny for act three character deaths or removing yourself from the party? I don't, So I don't know what they mean by the act three character. I don't know if they refer to King dying in the epilogue or if they meant the like the, the vacation arc where all of our characters were separated from each other. If you're referring to the epilogue, I just thought that was the most appropriate way to end King's story by showing, like, you know, this is, he's dying, but he's dying peacefully, surrounded by everyone he's ever loved, in the stark contrast to the sudden and very violent way he's died previously to this, uh, as, like, a way to show that he kind of got everything he wanted out of life in the end. And uh, as many people recall, or brought up, like, it's it's basically the, the good ending to Bioshock 1, and uh, for good reason, that's a, an absolutely beautiful ending. Um, so there you go. If that's, I don't know. What do you mean by how dare you? I guess I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Anybody else? Uh, thoughts? Let's open it to the floor here as I try to see any questions. Oh, w- weren't you going to bring some from the Discord, Chris? Cosmonon uh, asked, did the squad, the Slod Squad's names have any significance with the season's overarching uh, naming scheme? Specifically referencing Dante's Inferno, or not Don, the Divine Comedy. Yeah, they say Dante's Inferno, and my mind's like, is that the volcano movie, or am I just an uncultured swine? 
Uh, so I mean, the audience figured out in like episode one the naming convention. I've seen I'm seeing people here in the questions ask that, and I just assume uh, that other people will fill them in. Um, so yeah, I mean, all the the NPCs were named after characters that were referenced in the Divine Comedy. Uh, including the Slod Squad. I feel like the, the Slod Squad has so much potential. Uh, I don't want to put this out in the universe, but I'm going to anyway, even though it's going to haunt me for probably years. Uh, we Someone should definitely do a one-shot with the Slod Squad. <laughs> can I can I play a Slod in another season? Why Have I ever said no to you? Yes! Several times you've said no to me. <laughs> I was like, can I, can I be a mind player? You're like, no, you're too strong. And then you slap me away. Okay, that's not how I remember it, but... You you were like a dragon. You were like, no! And fire shot to my screen. And I was like, okay, I'm sorry. And then I hid under my bed for a day because I was very scared. <laughs> uh, any other questions from the Discord? I feel like it's pretty common knowledge that I left the Discord. Uh, I bet that's really good for your brain. How's that going? I, I no longer wake up, check the Discord, and then spiral <laughs> into self-harm ideation for the entire day. Oh, okay. Well, maybe I should just... Uh, Dante Condorwall said, did Austin have a specific mechanical idea for what Kato's Wrath Conduit did, or is it always meant to be non-relevant given the inwards-focused nature? Yeah, it, it never had any uh, combat application. Here's the thing about Kato, which is I didn't mean for this to happen, but he eventually became a an allegory for Barack Hussein Obama. Yeah. <laughs> 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 um, do you guys want to explore this, or do you want just to let that no, out please, to the universe? Go on. No, just leave it. Just, just leave it on that. No, I mean I get it, but I just want to hear you say it aloud. The first thing to know is that him recruiting Nifix was not a decision I made to make him look like a fucking dumbass. What happened was I said, "This is assassin season," and then Laura said, <laughs> "I'm gonna be a gamer who's never killed anyone." So she made that decision for Kato, and I had to roll it into his characterization. Oh yeah, no, that's entirely like my fuck up. Sorry about that, Austin. No, it's not a fuck up. It took him in an interesting direction because it took him from somebody who had like a, a kind of uh, dark presence. He's like a grim reaper. And he's like doing corrupt uh, stock market stuff, but actually he's trying to save the world, right? He's almost like the opposite of Jacqueline from the last season, your mission control, who seemed very like nice and cool on the surface, but was like secretly part of a racist organization and a dangerous person where Kato was not dangerous. Um, so it was almost like a reversal of that. But because of things like Nifix's backstory, Kato became kind of this commentary on like almost like the, the Obama administration, which is who really wants to do the best, who, ha who has every intention of making the world better, but whose main method for doing so is killing people. This wasn't intentional, like I said, but we, the, we literally drone struck a wedding and a funeral. Yeah, we did. In real life, in we Yemen. Yeah. This is a thing that happened. It did happen. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, oh, yeah. Oh, no. Yeah. Austin, why would you why would you tell me? <laughs> it's fine to make me complicit in your allegory, but how dare you tell me? Why would you tell me? Hey, 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 at least you don't kill kids. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I killed so many maggots. But yeah, like I said, that wasn't intentional. I didn't set that up to make that point. It just ended up being that way to where I look back on it. And I was like, oh, this is this is obvious. Like anyone who's uh, do it, writing a paper on this season would have to contend with this this parallel. 
Um, so it, it just became a thing. Does anybody have any thoughts about Kato? A very divisive character along with Nifix and Lancelot. I feel like one of the defining characters of the season. Punk ass little bitch. <laughs> I mean, I do have more thoughts, but I agree with Lauren. What a punk ass. Thank you. I I think it was really interesting that Kato ended up going to the other plane with Sharon and Nifix in the end, because I think like it, it it's fairly obvious that all three of them had the defining trait of um cowardice. They were trying to change the world they thought for the better. Um in a method that they mm, that was definitely flawed. They were like, ah, we're all going to be hated in our time for trying to change the world to be a better place through not great means. And now they wish to avoid the consequences. <laughs> I, I like uh, I Kato a lot. He's one of the... And Austin's so good at making these characters that oftentimes becomes that thing where it's like, oh, there's just not enough time to interact with all of them. Mm-hmm. Where I feel like you could do an entire season where you spend every downtime kind of talking with Kato and still get more out of him. Yeah, soak it in, Austin. Enjoy that praise. <laughs> you can't let me have anything, Conrad. <laughs> Why can't you just let me have one thing? You're so mean. <laughs> But the one thing I didn't like about Kato is he sounded like such a nerd. Maybe been the source material where the voice is from. I like your little southern voice. No, I'm kidding. I liked it too, yeah. I just had to dunk on Austin. It's, oh my god, I just realized who you sound like when you do it. Uh-oh. Uh, it's, no, you, uh, uh, fucking Daniel Craig's character in Knives Out is all, like all I picture when I hear that. I haven't seen Knives Out yet. It's very good. He has like a fucking foghorn leghorn accent. Sick. Uh, so we started like 20 minutes late, so we're uh, running up on our time right now. This, I think, is the last uh, chance if uh, Chris has any more questions in the Discord or if anybody has uh, any topic they want to throw out there. There's there's one big one that I, I know what the answer is, to it is, and I know it was in the Twitter ones, but I feel like if we address it here, then it will at least make some people sleep easier at night, which is Cato's <laughs> uh, big regret. And the thing about uh, that... yes. Uh, yeah. I mean, Austin, I guess you could choose not to say it which you're not going to but like i felt like just attaching like the the uh the snowman gift like, <laughs> i gave, like, you, gave all you all the clues, all the clues mr clues. police yeah, yeah. <laughs> well i just want to say that i love you all yeah good and i think thank it was a good season it was thank you season. all for continuing to let me be a part of this because i really Same. enjoy getting to make fiction with all you lovely people yeah, I already said about Laura's created the most complex and nuanced and just successful character in the history. I also think it's worth pointing out. Uh, Conrad, you played uh, storytelling in a hard mode by making a character defined by their boringness and making them extremely interesting. Mm. Uh, it, it's uh, just an achievement. It's almost like, uh, frankly, you're stunting. Uh, it's <laughs> like, oh, I'm going to wear ankle weights and win this track meet. But you did it. And it's very impressive. You, well, thank you. You you absolutely killed the idea of like the the straight the straight man played as as oh you you, you did well, such thank a good you. job no and it was it was a lot of fun to play a character that like I I got to do small amounts of evolution of the character over time and it it ended up paying off really well and so I'm I'm really glad that. I had something, and you know, there's it's it's interesting because somebody brought up in um, 
in the chat after the Lady of Pain fight that uh, it it was feasible that Blake could have been a replacement for that figure in Sigil. And I could, and I'd had the same thought as soon as that had happened. Like when we were talking about, okay, well, he's going to take this scar and it's going to fuck with this conduit. And I'm like, if we had more time, that's the only other way I would have possibly thought might be interesting to send that character down a path is to where he winds up screwed into this job forever. <laughs> um, but yeah, there just it wasn't enough time for it. But it was uh it was a really kind of cathartic, enjoyable experience to play someone who is unrepentantly evil, um, but uh, you know, dull. I think boring. I think real evil is is dull and boring. And um, and this this character I is kind of like my mother if she didn't have a soul. <laughs> Seriously, that's the way I thought about it. I was like, all right, when we started, you said, this is going to be the villain season. We're going to do assassins. I said, okay, what's evil? Boring people who don't do anything with their lives are evil. So I want that. And then uh, I guess I guess I, I, I'm describing someone who was in corporate America. And then I thought about my mother. And I thought about how she'd turned out because my mother worked for like defense contractors and shit for a long time and then got just sort of shit out one day. And, you know, but she'd worked her whole life for a retirement and she is presently caring for my father who got, de you know, developed dementia very quickly, like within six months after he decided to stop working. So she retired and immediately went into caregiving. And it's just like, oh, that sucks. It sucks to live for your retirement and not live now. And so uh, that was the character I wanted to make, was to make the character that didn't live in his, didn't have a life at all in his moment, you know, to live. And lived solely for a retirement that he would never ultimately have. And I still got there, so it worked out. It's funny that I, at the beginning of the season, I would have said Blake was the one who I expect the least development from that turned out to be Cordelia, but that's not an insult to what Lauren did. I think creating a, uh, a static character can be a really interesting challenge. I mean, you can speak more to this, Lauren, but this is the strongest impression you've ever created of a character. Cordelia is so singular. It's like... um. The, the, the example I would use is like, you know, uh, Scooby-Doo is a static character. Uh, no development, no complexity, no nuance necessarily. But you always now know how he'd react to a situation. He leaves such an impression from the voice to the mannerisms. It's like iconic instantly. And it also creates a great contrast to like uh, Nifix and King who are very dynamic and changing and emotional and going through all this. If all four characters were dynamic, it'd be exhausting, but having mm -hmm. the mix is really uh, refreshing. I, I super appreciated during the sort of monologue at the end, Nifix being like, ah, here was my monologue about how much I've changed as a character and both Blake and Cordelia just being like, <laughs> fuck no, we're who we are, who we are when we started. <laughs> get on, get on the page, Nifix. <laughs> It's also, it was, I feel like it may have been a little therapeutic for me. 
uh, to be able to play somebody who just doesn't give a shit and just does whatever they want. Because I I do tend to do whatever I want because I make bad decisions. But I feel very badly about it. Like, I cried, like, five times today. And so it's very... But like, you suffer consequences for them. Yeah, it was such a relief to just, like, be a monster for a minute. Big, big, big mood guilt feeling squad, woo. Yeah, no, it's it was, like, kind of freeing. Can we also just note, pound for pound, you're just... You, you were the funniest character throughout the season, <laughs> just constantly delivering great material and like seven to eight times an episode, like just constantly killing it. This season would not have worked di- party dynamics wise without you leavening scenes the way you did. You were you were constantly there to just like pick that energy back up and keep the silly going. That's my job. This this is my favorite season by far to uh, extend the Final Fantasy metaphor. Some people are Final Fantasy nine people, and you know, go with God. I can't follow you there. That's I don't understand that perspective. I'm a Final Fantasy six guy, and this season has been my Final Fantasy six. I when are we going to ten? <laughs> I, I hope we can give you your Final Fantasy ten, Chris. Yay! Uh, but for me, it's like. This is the season I always wanted to make. It turned out so well. The four best characters in Dice Funk history are Blake, Cordelia, Nifix, and King. <laughs> I haven't read any constructive criticism that I really agree with. I think you all nailed it. And this is like, I don't know where we go from here. I'm actually super nervous about how we how we yeah. top this. For, for, for all my uncertainty while the season was being recorded, I'm looking back on this one incredibly favorably um i think i think this is the most proud i've been of a season of dice funk since perhaps season three this is the only one i'll ever re-listen to i think (laughs) (laughs) you say that like every day like 10 times i'm so jazzed we finally did a good season legit i am terrified to start season seven because i'm like oh god i have to i have to a new character has to be born and become something I'm feeling really confident. I don't know why. Maybe it's the mania. That's because you know your next character season has the best name and best voice, and you're so you're starting <laughs> so far ahead. <laughs> it is a really good name. I feel like I'm gonna be fine when episode one's out of the way, but like, there's there's always that daunting thing when you've spent nine months like building a character and they've like good they they've become who they were gonna become, and now it's like, oh, I have to start with someone who. Once again, feels like they're a name on a bit of paper. I haven't met them yet. Yeah, like I'm feel. I'm saying I'm feeling confident now. But as soon as Austin calls on me in the first episode, I'm gonna be like, "Uh, what?" Because I I get nervous every first episode, no matter what, and then I don't say like ninety percent of the things I need to say. The the feeling of victory of oh god, we did it and we pulled it off. Such a good hit of dopamine. I will never stop recording this show until I am kicked forcibly out the door. Yeah, no, you'll have to drag me kicking and screaming. I like break into the Skype call if you ever try to take me off. I'll learn how to do computer science. <laughs> Just so I can break into the Skype call. <laughs> April 2020, the Good Vibe Zone. Good vibes only. It'll be 4420, it'll be 4220. That's a good vibe. Yeah. If you have bad vibes, you need to leave right now. 
No bad vibes in my April 2020. Executive producers for the good vibes, though. <laughs> Joseph Tombrell. I was trying to match your energy. Extellaris. Jade. Brent, still every episode of Dice Funk Goatly. Devin, conduit of evolution. John Madera, conduit of caramel lattes. Nephis Decidia, a sheep with crushingly low self-esteem. You're soft. Take heart. Paul Mullen. Inspired by all these PhD patrons, I'm getting a degree in what the heck. I'll be very useful in the new economy. <laughs> <laughs> R.I.P. Chip, human fighter, and pal of Hark and Caleb, eaten by an ankeg. Christman, smiting all the fake Christians. Toshiro Kuru, new self, 40 pounds lighter, and finally in control of the accounts. Oh, good for you. Now that's a good vibe. Andrew Grothen. Belated birthday, Jamie, because Patreon messed up last month. Oh my god, happy belated birthday, Jamie. Dr. Goatman. Faith underscore and underscore valor, formerly transient passerby. Fran- Francois V. Friends. Francois. He's one master. Oh no. Hold up. What's your starter Pokemon? Dildo, vibrator, or butt plug? JK. <laughs> you just go right past it. Jaspel sitting alone in the VIP. John what? Luther Manhole. Possum Kingdom Refugee. Random conduit of would you like a hug? Oh, I lost it. Sternad! Sternad. Sternad. Vinny currently dreaming of Austin's <laughs> bussy cakes. Hell no. yeah. No. Z, two, three, six, one, nine. We need to make a judgment. Is Austin's bussy a bad vibe? It's a bad vibe for me. No, it's not. Okay. Kevin Dobbins. A lonely gambling pig trying to be King's Valentine. <gasps> that would be so cute. King and a little pig. Yeah. Charlie Chocolate is DMing his first sesh on Saturday. Oh, God, Austin, help. I think this was last month, too, and they haven't changed it, which means they're dead. R.I.P. R.I.P. Pouring out. Pumpkin Spice itself. Robert Tuttle. Anthony, patron of Dora. Fi, or Fee, F-I, like the character from Zelda. Morgan Rapp. Haley Anderson. Pinko Sock. Back in the summer of 6D9. Okay, that's great. I get it. Sheev talking shit on a tubular <laughs> floating crane. Do it. <laughs> Tis I, Zedster. 69 spoopy 420 Sean by Lauren's Lutes. A horny illithid coming for Austin's <laughs> pussy. They don't even like pussies. They only like brains. What would they do with one? They just have no no use for it. <laughs> yeah, they do. <laughs> <a> little giggle. <laughs> a montage of gothnific staring out into the rain. A non-horny gift for Austin and a very horny one for the goblin. A question we all need an answer to is Anne smarter than King. No. It's not even close. A werewolf with a Chinese menu in his hand. Triple A Isaac, conduit of Linux mascot Tux the Penguin. Aaron Norgard. Abigail Grace. Adrian Y. Adiler. Adiler? Correct me later. (laughs) Aftershock, too busy planning an art expo to update patreon name but you but you did how do you know okay agent hedgepiggle aggressively weeping and eating ramen aki savalainen alex vepra alexander de vega alligator snakefish an otter wanting to be your valentine
And Valentine's Day was like February. I think we have another dead patron. Are we going to turn down the otter? No, that's true. Otters are always welcome. Andrew Birmingham. Andrew Fedgy, conduit of speaking truth to power itself. Anna. Anna, conduit of procrastination. Anon. Antonio, conduit of aftercare snacks. <laughs> okay. Arachnival. They're important. Arachnival, making dark deals with the spider's mortality. Archduke Archibald's five-armed hugging cactus golem. Prickly. Ariadne, uh, Ariadne asking if this island has got any daiquiris. Arjan de Koenig. Ash, the gayest bitch in the Midwest. Austin, I can't believe you had to Google Beasterizer. I just wanted to check. Austin, I can't do it. Mm, Austin, still love that Skeksis voice. Isaac Conduit of Gavel, Gavel, Gavel. Austin, it's Math Tiger. The test results are back. <laughs> it's Bussy Mustella Day. <laughs> oh, no, I haven't gotten my Bussy tested. Badodroid, <laughs> Badodroid. B- Becky Scott Fairley. Becky Tootail, property of Janiac. BJ, if Lime dies, we all die. So luckily we can all rest easy because this has been recorded after the season's over. <laughs> B-Ray Echo. Before we continue, I gotta poop. <laughs> Back in five. Big time Getty Lee. <laughs> Conduit of big time bass riffs. I wish I could do King Voice. I would have done that last one in King Voice. Yeah, but who can besides Chris? The guy who voice acted Kuobara in... Don't, don't care. Nope, nope. <laughs> Blackstone Morgan. Blue Six. Bonus. Brady, god of murder, survivor of Lauren's massacre. You would let a rival challenge you, Lauren? Who's challenging me? Brady. That's fine. There's enough room. <laughs> Brett. <laughs> that's very That's very thoughtful of you. Britt Relaford. Bro Jimbo. Buy your girls some flowers? Question mark. <laughs> Callum, Austin is my fave. Lauren is the best. Turner. Thanks. Cameron Abbas. Candace, listen to Dice Funk Starling. Kato on the no sex party barges. <laughs> Everyone had a field day with him floating in his own private plane, not being able to fuck. <laughs> <laughs> Chief Beef Thief. Chloe the dog finds bone pile on her walk. Chris, conduit of bad decisions walling. What is an unidentified body but a bone pile for dogs? Oh my god. CSI, dogs. (laughs) They're so excited. Oh no. Chris from Ohio? Is that where we were? Yes. Christopher Charlow. Coho Blast. Cool <laughs> Christmas conduit of not paying child support. Don't do that. <laughs> it's a Jim Sterling character. We probably talked about this last month. Oh, cool yeah. Christmas doesn't pay his child support. Corum. Sierra Saldana, prophet of RN Jesus. Cucumber. Dan B. Dandy Snuff. Daniel Marston, conduit of unnecessary consonants. Daria, go freaking right. Donning Frost. Dazeslost. Declan Sands. Dennis Pancake Detlefson. Dice Funk. Wait. No. Nope. Dice Fuck. Dungeons and Dildos. Spinoff for dogs. No. For dogs? <laughs> DM Tau. Now I have to deal with player shenanigans. Don Johnston. Dorian, Conduit of Devotion. Doro. Dr. Izix. Dragon Nexus. Dylan Rill and the Dog. Listening on a lazy Sunday morning. Also dishes.
Ebrens. Lauren is my friend and I love her. Hi, I love you too. Lauren, stop making friends with the listeners. I can make friends with whoever I want. <laughs> no, we have to remain above them. We have Edward to be- R. Jones, the fourth? <laughs> Inar J. Eowalt. E- wait. Eowalt. No. E I O W L T A. I am sorry, but I can't. I think you got it pretty close the first time. Ewolta? Ewolta? Ecorin. Elderly Goose, conduit of. Eleanor Renate sees Periton, Horton Vampire Lady with Depression. Elizabeth Jackalope. Elusive Lily. Emma, Mouth Tiger is 43.47% correct. It could be better, honestly. You usually want to be over 50% correct if you have the, yeah. the choice. And Digo Van Dane. Erwin Lilagadek. Evie, conduit of trying out new name in the credits. It could be Evie? E-V-I. What do you think? Evie. Okay. Fair Majesty Empress Quintilian Galaxion. Filmquisition. Florian H. Follow Slad Bible on Facebook. Francois Arsenal. Frank Sands. Furries come infecting the credits prison. See, the joke is everyone's in credits prison now. It was a long con, but we're all in it together, and now it's freeing and it's only good vibes. Can you tell? <laughs> oh my I'm God. not on drugs. <laughs> Where are we, Gage? Conduit of loneliness. Gary Bussy. Uh, yeah. No. <sighs> Gideon Therizinosaurus, a pot-bellied bipedal herbivorous dinosaur with 1M long claws. Is that meter? Yes, that's a meter. It's big. It's a big okay. for a claw. Ginger beers. Got more soul than a sock with the hole. Grapefruit juice. Graffiti, conduit of rhetorical vacillation. GSV underscore lasting damage. Probably their ML- MLG Pro game name. Oh. Haldrew. <laughs> Harley the Floral Lyricat. Harrison Andrew. Harry, intrigued by Laura's promise of sex octopus cults. Yep, this will be the credits that goes on the sex octopus cult episode. So you just heard that. You're welcome. <laughs> hey, guys. It's Ashley. He's a good Brent, dogs. How do I make friend? Regards. Conduit of social faux pas. I dread stares. <laughs> Same. Ingemar Grimon. Evelician. Jaden. James Neely. Janiac, conduit of teledildonics. I bet ke- the ke- teledildonics stocks are like skyrocketing during the quarantine, huh? Oh, get in on that shit, right? Yeah. Janiac bullies Austin while I watch. <laughs> Jay Logan, conduit of queerness, mage of life. You could definitely incorporate teledildonics into Austin bullying, I feel like. Oh, the more God. I'm su- the more I'm suffering, the better it is for you. Jesus. Jealous goddess cosplay. Jen. Did we say Jay Logan? Yeah. Okay, I was just thinking about... I think so. J. Logan, Conduit of Queerness, Mage of Life. I was just thinking about Dildonix. Jenny Colby. Jess Veggie, Conduit of Veggies. Jimmy the End Bear, formerly known as Deathworm Jim. Unemployed and quarantined. Same. In the credits prison with us. Good vibes only. (laughs) Joanna the Wrench Witch. Joe G underscore LTE. John Carey. John Potts. John, conduit of subpar joke names. Josie, conduit of buffalo chicken pizza. Try a slice. <laughs> Is this a commercial? I mean, I am already convinced, so it Jew Man Jack, back from Planet Crack. Julian Phillips, conduit of Kaizen. Yeah, isn't buffalo chicken your favorite? It's very good. Just a jester. Josie, conduit of being poly to get a heist team of cuties. <laughs> Jorgen, Andy Monster, Winewick Ford, conduit of symbols I can't read and lactose intolerance. <laughs> I think it's just, ah! Okay. Ah! Kaji Fire Sun. 
Kate, conduit of fading regret. Key for low. Caledry offers Austin a hit of Mitzi's good, good cat belly. I finally pet a cat in the first time in so long, and it was blissful. It's very good. I could not get enough cat belly. I missed them so much. Anyway, <laughs> Keller Automat. <laughs> Ken, conduit of finally writing this goddamn PhD dissertation. Kidney, a beholder in a snazzy hat. Killer Cotton Shizno. Kaniku fan. Kitty Foe, warm snoring burrito ate your valentine candy. Damn. Carito Prime, my Patreon saved a life. Damn, that's the opposite of what <laughs> I wanted. I should start a Patreon, just like patreon.com slash help me kill people. That would probably get taken down. What do we call it? Patreon.com slash Medicare for none. Oh my god. <laughs> Go to bed. <laughs> Criterion, the smoothest of Marios. You just wanted to read Smooth Marios. You didn't read Christina, <laughs> Conduit of Sharon needing a hug oh, itself. Oh, sorry, Christina. I did get really excited about Smooth Mario. Yeah, Sharon gets infinite hugs in the void. Kyle Badsvik. Kyle, conduit of Drop Goodwood and King Badass Slash Fick. Lady Misfit Dino Facts Synapses are defined by having one temporal fenestra. It's going to take us 20 minutes to Google every word in that sentence, but thank you, <laughs> Miss Lady Misfit Dino Facts. Larry Yellingby. Yelling NB. You, you. That's my co host, Austin. Yeah, that's why you're supposed to correct me so it makes you sound cool and like you are invested and good. Oh, thanks. It makes you sound better when you correct me. Uh, Lars, owner. Lauren's mom's duck, conduit of the untitled duck game. Yeah, that sounds about right. Loopy Elephant would like Austin to talk about Mustela Day more. Which ones? What do you think? The, the Mustela Day of the month is going to be... Uh, mink. They're well known for being made into coats, but did you know they're even better when they're alive? <laughs> oh my god. They're good to pet and to look at. <laughs> I love them. So think about minks this month. Why are you trying to do this to me? Lauren Cates, conduit of being thankful that conduit still exists in Dice Uh oh. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they do still exist. It's interesting. This is the first uh, time we've recorded uh, since the audience found out about stuff changing. We'll see how they feel next month. Love you all, especially Chris. God damn it. Conduit of favoritism. <laughs> you can't let him have one. He has them all. All half the credits are like, I love Lauren. Oh, Show me your boobs. Come on. I know. It's just he's he's so talented. Ludovico Limited. Luke Powers. Luther, the conduit of a button quail in a pear tree. Manticore Deathlord. The cult of Gorfinax. Master Zemnohort. Matteo Zanek. Matt Collier. Matt Lack gets conduit of. Ingiram imus nocte et consumimar igni. Hopefully, you didn't just summon a demon. I think igni is definitely fire, that's so fine. that's not great. Matthew, listen to Dice Funk and Neos Gum Schultz. Maximum side boobs celebrating one full year of tasteful nudity. Majin, conduit of 3D printing dickosauruses for everyone I know. Melbent. Melissa the birthday dice goblin happy birthday michael hall miles conduit of strong byleth opinions but she fun though modified matthew mr willie phoenix steven lesbian poo seagull mr willie phoenix steven lesbian seagull poo bear shaker get your shit together (laughs) okay i'm excited for when the byleth uh credit gets replaced by the whatever character from arms they add to smash brothers remember arms lauren you know i don't know what the fuck you're talking about 
<laughs> Namita Aneskin's Conduit of Error. You can't just call me out in front of the whole credits. <laughs> they don't care if you know about arms. <laughs> Nicholas Dominic. Nicholas McDonald. Nick. Nick Thetford, I forgive you for bringing up face setting. <laughs> Nonfinite. Oi, Austin, when I eat that ass, should I use a fork and knife? Only respect for my McQuare. Hashtag Zoe fan club. Pie Robjurg. Pangolin. Patrick Babcock, conduit of This Is Fine itself. Patrick Connor, Oscar Gifford. Patrick Williams. Please check my webcomic, ruinisfortune.com. They didn't write this, but I'm going to add, or else. Yeah, do it. Sorry, that was a bad vibe. Pocket Sundial. <laughs> Pruitt Holcomb. Puck Boy. Pyrocytic, because the cake was a lie, and who doesn't like fire? Do you like fire, Lauren? Yes. Just okay. not on me, on my, like. <laughs> yeah, no, the implication is it, it doing other stuff, not yeah. just to cuddle. Yeah. <laughs> Resumi Azura. Remsiv. Rob Dakin. Oh. Ah, fighter, fighter of Rob Nightkin. Let's harmonize with me. Oh, I thought you wanted to do it. Fighter oh. of Rob Nightkin. Ah. ah. You tried. <laughs> I'm sorry. Robert Chisholm. Conduit of Gigantamax Cornelia wrecking shit. I was actually really curious if you were going to Gigantamax during the final boss fight and try to fight the T-Rex, reptile to reptile. I forgot about it. Robin. I'm dumb. <laughs> You're not dumb. Oh, my brain's just bad. Rule 34, Bob Chiaclone. Chiaclone. S. Kearney, working nine till five. Do, 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 do. Yeah. <laughs> it. Salad Child. Sam. Scarlet Eyes Yuri. Sean Lyons Burke, conduit of Manning Byleth out of spite. There you go, Sean. Simmons, conduit of Harder Slatty. Uh, see, it's not as funny as when you do it because that's the thing people want to hear you say and not a yeah. terrible fucking embarrassment for me. Sergeant Rattlebones, 31st, 31st, 31st <laughs> Bussy <laughs> Protection Brigade. 31st <laughs> Bussy Protection. <laughs> that's literally what I was going to say. Gotcha. <laughs> The 35th Bussy Brigade. Shane Sedgwick. Shane Ware, conduit of hedonistic pansexual polyamorous switches. Simon Lee, conduit of Chungus, <laughs> bearer of Dinkus, minion of John Con. Sin Milk Tom. Skimbleshanks, the railway cat, the cat of the... Railway! <laughs> slime King Mike, but purple, seeking revenge for not choosing the Slime River. It'll haunt you for seasons to come. <laughs> Sporeman Zero. Starlight Glimmer did nothing wrong. Stephen Cleese. Stephen! <laughs> Attending ABA, Austin's Bussy Anonymous meetings. Well, Stephen is not anonymous anymore, because now I know what you've done. There's a lot of people named Stephen. Sweet dreams are made of these. Who am I to disagree? Not going to sing it because I'm upset about all the fists that are happening. Syretha so says, check out the last unicorn novel and movie. <laughs> Thanks for the recommendation, Syretha. Cool. Tabitha Spokes. Tales of Inquiry. What if people just recommended shit to us every week? They're like, hey, have you ever checked out Call of Duty? <laughs> like, Thanks. No. I don't no. <laughs> Where are we even? Tales of Inquiry? Did we say Tabitha Spokes? We did now. Are, did you have a problem with Call of Duty? Was that that noise was? Yes. Also, I have this thing, and I know, and I can't stop myself from doing it, and I don't know why I'm like this, but if somebody tells me to do something, I, won't, I, can't, I can't. I won't do it. It's called being a contrarian. Also, it's extremely inconvenient because mostly people are trying to give you helpful advice. I know! 
<laughs> Teraflops. Terezi Pyro transing June Egbert. Also, you didn't tell me what's wrong with Call of Duty. You don't like when the men shoot the men? No, I'm just being a bitch. Uh, the murderous mongoose who's secretly standing directly behind you. The precursor. <laughs> the tasty cakes, cakes that Yorski bakes. We know what cakes they're talking about. It's your pussy. <laughs> the only cakes I have is when you know I'm caked Busty. up. That's it. Titus. Tim Lutton. Toby Gleason Stack. Tom Bowers. Trees, they are us. Trevor S. the Goblin Teacher. Is Does Trevor S. teach goblins? Or are they a teacher that is a goblin or both? I don't know if you can teach goblins. I feel like they kind of do what they want. You try. Hmm. Shayness. Universal Toby. Vib the Glib. Oh, that's fun. You say that. It's fun. Vib the Glib. Victoria Melito, conduit of quietness. Ward Van Open. Willian Vinky. Will you be my yamantine? Why everyone talk about so bad? It's April. What's happening? Who cares? Yams are delicious. Yes, I will be. Okay. Ziphosaurus. Ziphosaurus! You expected a Patreon, but it was me, Dio. I actually don't know what his inflection is in the English because I listened to it uh, subbed, so I have no idea how to even approximate it's that. It's probably English. not as good. Yeah. You Oh, you just read that one. <laughs> Zoltar, the Viking death metal caterpillar conduit of retribution. Z, 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 or is it sleeping? Z. Okay, I guess a bunch of people had this idea. Oh, well, I'm trying to get to the end. You almost made it. There's only one under you. I know. I'm only happy when it rains, Zucas. And they got in because of the quotation marks at the beginning of the garbage lyric and not because of the Zs. But good try, everyone. The Good Vibe Zone is officially coming to an end. You're welcome for inclusion in our space. Uh, it's a new season. We've got one-shots that this is attached to. Enjoy them. Make sure to check the descriptions for the people's uh, social media, the Twitters, their Patreons, their YouTubes, their Twitch. Everything's linked. Uh, we can't run it all down because literally it's going to be like 20 different <laughs> players. There's so many. So many cool new people. Uh, but make sure you check the descriptions. That's where all that is. You can support the show. Patreon.com slash Austin Yorsky. Uh, Patreon.com slash Laura K. Buzz. You know, Patreon.com slash Weekly Manga Recap. And of horse for everyone who's on the normal episode episodes lauren what about you uh i'm rargalicious on twitter you can buy my chitty pics there i'm also on a podcast called humans hollering at news look it up it's it's on patreon and it's fun and we talk about nice things and if you like some good vibes that's all we do do you want to say something earnest about the quarantine and how uh, we appreciate all your support and we hope we're here for you and make sure uh, if you're bored, uh, make inflict our podcast on your family and uh, animals and just blast it out the windows at the people who can't leave their homes? Yes. All that Austin said. <laughs> <laughs> no, I really, I really do appreciate it. A lot of people have been very supportive of me because I've been unemployed and uh, supportive of you because you need to like survive. Cannot live. Um. So, thank you, and kiss all your pets for me. On the snoot. Mwah. Or snoot equivalent. How gross do you think that noise was? I can see the waveform, and it's uh, uh, really unappealing. It was weird. <laughs>